0: Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money saver tire and service deals today.
1: Dobbs, with 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Down by four. Stafford, receivers in tight. He gets the snap, he cocks his arm, he throws a pass, cart with the leap, belt high, far side of the end zone, touchdown, Cup. The Rams have taken the lead! The Rams have taken the lead! One twenty-five to go! Fourth and one, shotgun snap low, picks it up, left tackle block, here comes Donald! And he spins Brew around, he then tried to throw it away! The Rams celebrating on the near side! On downs, it goes to L.A. Only one timeout for the Bagels, and that may do it. The Rams are going to win it with a script right out of Hollywood. The star-studded Los Angeles Rams are a hit. They have won Super Bowl 56 in dramatic come-from-behind fashion.
3: Well, that hurt. I know, St. Louis, it hurt. Without Tanner Hendrickson, he's not here today. I wish I weren't here today. Oh, oh, damn! I told you not to talk this first segment, man. Tanner Hendrickson, Brandon Kylie. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is B K and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN, and let's just get this out of the way, boys. The villain won. Stan Kroenke, the LA Rams. They win the Super Bowl. It's what everyone was hoping against. They wanted to see Joe Burrow and the Bengals take it home. But unfortunately, late game heroics by Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald and Von Miller and, well, frankly, the superstars in this one. They pulled out the victory.
4: Way to go, Bengals O-line. So I'm not
3: even going to ask T-Bone this. How are we feeling today?
0: I feel closure. I don't know if the rest of St. Louis is with me. And by the way, if I sound a little funny, it's because I can only speak out of half of my mouth today. I apologize. This is my flu game, guys. I had surgery over the weekend. I thought it would be fine by today. It's not. Um, But I'm trying to fight through it. The Rams left, and it seemed like there were a million different steps along this path to getting to where we are today, right? You had the lawsuit that was filed. You had that first Monday night opener in L.A. where we all hate-watched when they played against the 49ers. You've had the ups and the downs everywhere in between, including them getting to and losing the Super Bowl. And I think last night was closure for a lot of us here in St. Louis. That sucked. Watching Stan Kroenke accept that trophy and looking like he had no emotion as his team just won the Super Bowl in the place that he paid $5 billion to build. That was a bummer. But over the last month, we have now seen the Rams do the one thing that could have still hurt us. The one thing that could hurt all of us here in St. Louis. It happened last night. The settlement is now done. The lawsuit is over. Most of the players that played here have either already moved on from the Rams or are getting ready to do so very soon. More on that here in a little bit. Last night for me was closure, though. It sucked. It hurt. I didn't enjoy it, but that felt like closure to
3: me. Yeah, this is where I was, too. I mean, look, I didn't look forward to this game and the outcome. If the Rams were going to pull out a victory, it would have stung. But at the end of the day, I was done with it. It it sucks to watch and frankly I didn't even watch Dan Kroenke get to hoist the Lombardi trophy and get handed lost. that on the stage. Well, probably because dementia's setting in. But I was I was ready to move on at that point. And for me it was one of those moments where you turned the television off, you walked away, and you said, Eh, it's over. And I would imagine that's how St. Louis feels in this circumstance, because no longer do you have to sit here and wonder when they were going to get theirs. Look, they got theirs. They have to pay the money in the lawsuit. And you're also, it's like that moment where you're sitting there hoping that the worst outcome doesn't happen. And you're you're wasting all of your time saying, God, please don't happen. God, please don't happen. And then it happens. And you have that initial shock of, oh, my gosh, it's finally here. But then when it's here, you're done with it. You move on from it. That's at least where I was at. T Bone? No, we're not doing that. Nope, we're Great not doing easy. earlier today smart. on character and smaller. smart. And
0: here's how he felt.
1: The villain won. It wasn't that long ago they were in St. Louis. His plan worked perfectly. If you watched all of the pregame shows leading up to the Super Bowl on any network that was covering this event, they were all talking about how Inglewood is such a beautiful place. They transformed this. This venue is amazing. It was everything he wanted. Everything he wanted, he got it. It, The villain won, and St. Louis had its nose rubbed in it.
3: So this is what got me. And, of course, that's Greg Amzinger from Carricker and Smallman this morning. And Randy Carricker tweeted this out. Greg Amzinger wondered if the Rams winning last night was the darkest day in St. Louis history. Sports history. In sports history. Well, I mean, I guess you could go St. Louis history. Randy put this on Twitter for a poll and the four options were the Rams winning the Super Bowl, the Rams leaving St. Louis, the Denkiger call, and then Nick Kiprios knocking out Grand Fuhrer in the playoffs. Rams leaving surprisingly won at 53.7%. Surprisingly? Well, personally, I felt like there were going to be a lot of people that were going to vote for the Rams winning the Super Bowl, but only 7.8% voted on that. That was 1% more than Nick Kiprios knocking out Grand Fuhrer. Yeah. I think this
0: is right. I think people are doing
3: what they... They are not falling for the recency
0: bias here. I can't imagine last night hurt more than the moment that you found out with certainty... That the Rams were actually leaving your city.
3: But did that really sting for people? Because it felt- The Rams leaving? No, but understand where I'm coming Absolutely. from here. Absolutely. It stung, yes. because <laughs> I mean, it hurt me. B- I'm because a it Rams happened. fan. But you knew it was coming. It's not like you found out that day, like, whoa, where did this come from? This but was you like can be in denial. Years- yes, but this was like four years in the making of, oh, my I God, understand. oh, my God, oh, my God. And then it happened. When it really happened, though, it's like when you know
0: a relationship's going bad, but you still want it to work, so you'll do everything you can to make it happen. And then suddenly it's just over and you realize there were a million different signs along the way that this was never going to work. But until that moment of clarity happens where you realize, oh, it's just flat out over the finality of it all. I think that was clearly like if you're just looking at the last 20 years, for example, in St. Louis sports history, I
3: don't even know that last night it makes your top three. Oh, God, no. I've had so many more moments that stung than the Rams winning the Super Bowl. Waka in the playoffs? Waka? Oh, my God. Colton Wong getting picked off? Travis, like, Travis Ishikawa going I mean, deep. there's
0: there's a million different Cardinals S- moments that would rise above what we saw last look, night in the Super Bowl. The Dodgers I won just, this year? Look, I didn't I, last cry. Last night hurt, but that wasn't like watching one of your teams lose at the highest of
3: stakes. I didn't cry last night like I did when Steve Iserman went top shelf on John Casey. No. That. That moment stuck stuck with me for about five or six years. Still sticks with me, to be honest. That there were a lot darker moments in St. Louis sports history for something like that, and and the three one four I think put it best. As this, hold on, highlighted. It. It's like watching the ex that broke up with you that you still love get married. It's like okay, it's over. I'm done hating you. You have the sweet release of not having to sit here and hate watch all of these. Individuals playing in the game, Stan Kroenke. I know he's still a villain, probably will always be a villain. But for me, it was one of those moments where you turned it off and you said, okay, I'm done with it now.
0: I'm with you on that. I, I think that this was, I mentioned, I, I thought this was closure for St. Louis with the Rams. I know there will be some who completely disagree with that, but that's how I viewed last night. It was the, the final step, the final frontier. You beat the big boss in the video game to be able to say, okay, we're done with that now. Nothing is going to hurt you as a St. Louis in when we're talking about the Rams more than last night did nothing because that was the pinnacle. The Rams got to the place. They said they would that none of us believed that they would. They were able to put together a team with a star studded lineup that it actually was able to win the Super Bowl in their home stadium. It will never get worse than that as a St. Louis in than what you watched last night for the Rams. But on on Randy's poll, like, the idea that this would even be grouped together with Albert Pujols leaving St. Louis for L.A., like, the Rams actually leaving, it didn't get anywhere close to that for me. And I, I don't know if maybe there were some who disagree with that assessment on a text line 65780, but it, it wasn't even close
3: to that in my mind. So now that we got that out of the way, now you could focus in on the actual game, what took place on the field. And I don't know about you guys, That was exactly like if if I could have scripted the outcome of that Super Bowl. What we witnessed was to a T Rams and Bengals Bengals offensively. They looked like a team that got outworked by the defense in the second half. Joe Burrow was all over the place. I know you don't like their head coach very much. And I think there you go. He's miserable as BK one said. The best players on the Rams showed up. Cooper Cup, he was the MVP. Aaron Donald shut down. Should have won MVP, and pro- I should have got my money for that. Well, no, I think Cooper Cup was the clear cut MVP. Matt argument. Stafford. Aaron Donald should have won. MVP. He was average. He but I, first match, I, I think that game, looking at it, Matt watching Stafford
0: it, was one yard away from hitting his over. Oh, Matt yeah, Stafford had two
3: it. interceptions.
0: True. One of them was like a pot though. It was thrown deep in the end zone. Are we sure about that? Yes, that game was exactly Are what I sure? expected it to be. The Rams couldn't run the football just as we all expected even though Sean McVay decided that he needed to. I don't know why, but he kept doing it. The Rams <laughs> were able to eventually. continuously do what the Chiefs failed to do against their, their secondary, the Bengal secondary and that was find their big weapons. Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham completely changed that game. I think if Odell played the second half That would have been a much more lopsided victory for the Rams than what we saw. And Joe Burrow did just enough to keep it interesting. He was sacked seven times in the game. That tied in a Super Bowl record. Uh, For most times, a quarterback was sacked in a Super Bowl in history. ESPN puts together a stat called pass block win rate, Alex. The Bengals in that game had the lowest pass block win rate of any team in any game this year. They won 20% of their pass block reps. That means the Rams, by virtue of that, won 80% of their pass rush reps, which was the highest by any team in any game this year. Their defensive line with all of those additions that they've made, all of the money that they're spending in that group, that won them the game. I know that Cooper Cup won MVP. He was deserving of it. Matt Stafford made some huge plays down the stretch, clutch performance by him the defensive line of the Rams going up against the Bengals offensive line was the number one thing to watch going into that game. And it ended up determining the outcome of the game.
4: What What's interesting about it too, is like you talk about the first half of that game and that wasn't the storyline. I mean, the storyline was, wow, the Bengals offensive line has held up fairly well against the LA Rams pass rush, because if I'm not mistaken, I think the Rams got in once and Aaron Donald didn't even have a tackle in the first half. And then that second half comes along, the Rams make that adjustment that was needed. We talked about it. I think it was on Friday. Uh, Okay, are the Rams going to rush five guys when it comes to blitzing or are they going to just sit back? They're going to just have that front four, do the job, sit back in coverage. And the Rams tried that. It didn't work. What do they do? They start sending in a linebacker it sends up to that single um, one-on-one blocks and that's where that Rams defensive line changed the game. And and that was ultimately the deciding factor in that game like you said. The game ended up going as we kind of thought it would script-wise. First half though, it didn't look like that. First half I was thinking to myself, holy crap, the Rams can't get any pressure on the Bengals. This is going to be a different story. and then the momentum shifts right as that second half begins and then the rams were able to kind of they go to the big guys they go to their the cooper cup who was mvp of that super bowl he's the guy that changes the game late in that one because i like it fourth and one what do you do you run a wide receiver get wide receiver jet sweep get the ball in your best player's hands and that's ultimately what the deciding
3: factor was of this game so the rams win the super bowl Sucks to hear, but we're ready to move past it. He's Tanner Hendrickson, he's Brandon Kiley, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, the Blues got a victory on Saturday, and there was one player that kind of reminded us what they will need if they want to go on a Stanley Cup run. But coming up next, are these two individuals on the Rams really about to walk away from the game? We'll discuss that next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: Individually, we all know he's probably the best player of his generation, at least defensively. And, and I think tonight him winning a Super Bowl uh, and getting a chance to, to add that to his resume, which was kind of the one thing that was lacking. I think that's the thing when we look back and everyone says, boy, Aaron Donald, when he's going into the Hall of Fame, Remember that Super Bowl and remember that play he made at the end of the game. And I think that's going to be the thing when we all look back is this is the time Aaron Donald really cemented his place amongst the all-time greats, quite frankly.
3: That's Nick Wagner, NFL reporter, who covers the San Francisco 49ers talking about Aaron Donald, who in some people's eyes should have been the MVP in that Super Bowl victory last night. With Tanner Hendrickson and Brandon Kylie. I'm Alex Ferrario. Are we about to see one of the best defensive linemen at least within the last 10 years, maybe more, walk away from the game. So before the Super Bowl last night, there was a report on Aaron Donald possibly deciding to retire if they pulled out a victory. Take a listen.
0: He also told me this if he if he wins a Super Bowl, there's a
2: strong possibility that he can walk away from the game and, and retire. And if they do win
3: this game, Donald will consider retirement. Well they won it. And in eight seasons as an NFL line defensive lineman, he's now a Super Bowl champion, a three time defensive player of the year. He was a part of the all-decade team in the 2010, seven-time first-team All-Pro, eight-time Pro pro Bowler, a rookie of the year. He's only missed two games, both not injury-related. He is one of the greatest to play that position. And if he walks away from the game, boy, does that make a big-time conundrum for this Rams team, BK. Yeah, I didn't believe it when I first heard it. Like, it just seemed
0: strange to me that hey, this would just come out of nowhere it's kind of like the tom brady thing where it's like the week of the game you finally start hearing some rumblings hey this this might be it for tom don't discount the fact that we might be watching his final game in a buccaneers uniform or in a football uniform period and then the same was true last night with this donald report it came out of nowhere where rodney harrison was just like this was just randomly during the pregame show he's like hey aaron donald told me he might retire And then they just moved on and never reestablished the fact Rodney, one of their analysts said that that one of the best players in the game, one of the best defensive players in the history of football, might retire before he's like 35 years old. Wait, Rodney, can you restate that? And then Michelle Tafoya, right before the game, said the same thing. Hey, Aaron Donald, all he needs left on his resumes is to be a Super Bowl champion. He's done everything else there is to do. I don't think he's going to walk away. I hope not. After hearing what he said after the game, though, yeah, I'm not sure he's coming back next year because you mentioned all of the accolades that he's had. He's one of three defensive players ever to win three Defensive Player of the Year awards. The other two are J.J. Watt and Lawrence Taylor. He's already established himself as a surefire, no doubt, first ballot Hall of Famer, should be a unanimous inclusion in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the greatest players to ever play the game. Period. Point blank. End of story. And if he retired today, he still has that going for him. So, man, I I don't know for sure that he's going to. Obviously, nobody seems to. But if he walks away, everything for his legacy, it's over. He's already done everything there is to do, really.
4: Yeah, I mean, he definitely is a sure ballot first or first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, he's the most dominant player in the NFL today, and and he's been that for the last... What, five years? I texted you guys last night.
3: Pretty much since he entered the league, it felt
4: like. Yeah, I texted you guys last night after the game. I said, Aaron Donald might be the best player I've watched play football besides Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. And that says something. Because, I mean, Patrick Mahomes has been fun to watch. But Aaron Donald's done it for just a couple more years. And Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes will probably surpass him. But, I mean, there's nobody that is down. I mean, I texted you guys last night. I said, man, Aaron Donald's got to get going in the second half for the Rams to win this game. And he texted back, and he said... Well, he's being double-teamed. And to me, that's just such an expectation yeah, he's going to be double-teamed, but Aaron Donald's still going to get to the quarterback. There I were mean, times
3: when he was triple-teamed last yeah. night. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, it I, might be a problem on your offensive line. Yeah. Triple-teaming uh, one guy. Nah, it'll it will be it fine. Yeah, <laughs> it worked.
4: But, yeah. I mean, it's just unbelievable. He takes offensive linemen and he moves them like they're ragdolls. It's unbelievable. And, and you saw the play last night, and I think it was the play of the game. It was before the fourth and one. I think it was third and one, if I'm not mistaken. And it was they hand the ball off to the running back. Donald like just shoves the offensive lineman with one arm, grabs the running back, and basically pulls him back from getting a first down. There's no other defensive tackle in the league that can make that play.
0: Somebody on our text line said there's no way that Aaron Donald retires. He's not going to walk away from that kind of money. Aaron Donald's already made a hundred million dollars. He's only got one year left on his deal too. Mm-hmm. He's got three, I think, right? Oh, I thought he had three years left on his deal. That he's oh yeah, sorry, currently... I'm thinking of
4: uh, somebody else. Yeah, yeah he's, he's got three.
0: He's 31 years old. Like if he wants to walk away. He can no you he can accomplish everything he can also make an extra 75 million dollars by not walking away you could do that but when you're Aaron Donald and you made this kind of money like you've already made generational wealth what changes in your life depending on whether you had a hundred million dollars that you were able to make or 160 million dollars during your career like your actual quality of life I know that's 60 million dollars that you don't have otherwise there ain't a whole lot that you can do with 160 that you can't do with 100 million dollars your your life doesn't change all that much nah, if you're Aaron not Donald. Enough money in my opinion. Meanwhile, if he wants to walk away and do some other stuff with his life, like he can go do that. So I I'm not writing this off whatsoever.
3: Well, and I think a lot of this is going to be tied into what else happens because if you're Aaron Donald, you know, if you're going to come back, you want to come back for the chance to win another Super Bowl. And let's look at the Rams team right now. OBJ's a free agent, Von Miller's a free agent. They have a lot of guys who are uh pending returning depending on what happens in free agency. And then you tie this into the head coach because this was the other report that took place over the weekend that Sean McVay was contemplating retiring so that he can start a family, possibly move up into the broadcast booth. I think if Aaron Donald is going to come back, it's only if this team looks similar to what it looked like this season, because if you lose these impactful players and you lose your head coach, what's the incentive of coming back if this team doesn't look like they're going to be back to the Super Bowl? I don't believe this one at all. Like like, Sean McVay one? Yeah,
0: I don't even not even for a second. This has everything written on it of I'm going to go ahead and try my best to get the most money possible from Stan Kroenke. If I win the Super Bowl, you better be ready to pay to keep me here because he knows he can make $10 million a year being in the booth. Probably ask for $15 million from the Rams. Why not? they'll give it to you he could be one of the highest paid coaches in the nfl he'll be one of the Probably highest paid be. coaches in sports maybe the highest paid coach in sports like that's that's very much on the table for sean mcveigh i would be stunned absolutely stunned if he walks away aaron donald i see i, I would not be surprised by that one at all sean mcveigh oh yeah th- that dude's going to be their head coach in 2023
4: yeah the sean mcveigh one i don't really buy into as much but i i won't write it off necessarily i i because I don't know, I don't remember when John Gruden made the leap to the broadcasting booth, but I'm sure that was a major shock to a lot of people but in John the NFL Gordon, world.
0: His, he was struggling. The, the, the Bucs at that point in time were not playing as well as what we're watching right now with the Rams. He just got his quarterback. Oh, uh, You think he's going to trade for Matthew Stafford and then be like a year later? Eh, you know, this was fun. I'm going to go in the broadcast booth. I, five years from now, I could totally see Sean McVay I, I walking can, away. I do think he's going to retire early and do the Gruden. I just don't think it's but right But it now. comes
3: down to the personal side of this one, and that's where I don't know. I, I mean, if you're an individual like Sean McVay and you're sitting here thinking, okay, because we all know this job, I mean, there's no off season because as soon as you win the Super Bowl, you're back to already scouting the upcoming season. You're talking about the draft, free agency. There's no off season, And if Sean McVay, who is, what is he, 32, 33 years old? 37, I oh, think. Oh, is he 37? Yeah. So if you're sitting here going, I want to start a family, and you've accomplished this already— I, I could see. I could. It's very. It would be very surprising if this were to happen. But on the flip side of that, I could see Sean McVay being 37 years old saying, I want to start a family. I just want a Super Bowl. I've got my money. Yeah, I'll walk away from the game and still get paid if I'm going to the broadcast booth.
4: I I think he's at least there for another two to three years. And then when the weapons start to kind of, like you just said, John Gruden, he struggled at the end of Tampa Bay. I mean, we can all read the tea leaves. The Rams are probably going to struggle in two to three years when they start to lose pieces and they don't have the draft pick compensation to re-add to their assets. Maybe that's when we see Sean McVay take the walk away. I I mean, I'm not going to rule it out that he does it this year because he did win a Super Bowl, but I think it's a lot less likely compared to Aaron Donald, who has accomplished everything. Sean McVay's close to that. He's already got a Super Bowl, which is something that a lot of head coaches won't even get. A lot of them may not even survive first seasons in the NFL, but I think it is more of a pay raise kind of thing. I don't know what his contract is, but in my opinion, he's probably the best or second-best head coach in the National Football League in terms of scheming and offense. And overall, his game management sometimes does need work, so I can't put him above like a Bill Belichick, but he's one of the best offensive minds in football. I would put him probably right behind Kyle Shanahan.
0: Yeah, I would still have Andy above him, but I, they're, they're in that same category together. He's top five at a minimum. I, we make this John Gruden comparison, but w- what we have to remember, John Gruden won his Super Bowl the first year that he was in Tampa Bay. That was in 2002. The next six years in Tampa Bay, he made the playoffs twice. Seven and nine, five and eleven, eleven, five, four and twelve, nine and seven, then walked away after 2008 when he also went nine and seven and finished third in his division. These are not similar situations. What we saw John Gruden do was when the going got tough, he decided to walk away. What we're watching with Sean McVay, if he decided to leave right now, it would be as he's reaching the pinnacle of his career. This would be like, uh, John Gruden walking away after 2002 when they won the Super Bowl. That's not how it went. There was another six years in Tampa uh, between then and when he actually decided to go to the broadcast booth. I think you're going to see something similar from Sean McVay. Gruden retired at 45. I wouldn't be surprised if you see something similar from Sean McVay. Maybe it's not 45, but it's 39, 40, 41, somewhere in that range, three, four, five years from now. I think he's still got a few years left in the prime of Matthew Stafford's career. Once Stafford starts to drop off and they start to see the return of not having draft picks for like a three to five year stretch. Okay. That's when I think it'll be time for Sean McVay to walk away. And that's when the Rams will be looking for their next head coach.
3: He's Brandon Kylie, He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario. Our questions and answers segment coming up in 15 minutes. So text them over on the air comfort service text line 65780. Coming up next, Huso was important in that game on Saturday But there's a couple of other guys that if the Blues get going, they're going to be a dangerous team. We'll discuss that coming up next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It, trying to center and a sliding save it might have been blocked in front by Walman. if Huso didn't get a piece of it looks in front to dock they get it oh and a save made by Huso DeBrinket picked it up and a blocker save Billy's made two great ones here in the last 90 seconds Hawks will
0: get it back on a two-on-one, they bring it in. Kane with a shot and a save by
3: Huso. Chris Kerber on the call from Saturday's 5-1 victory against the Chicago Blackhawks. As Ville Huso, he only saw 16 shots, but in those 16 shots, I would imagine about 50%, if not more, were high-danger scoring chances. And with Brandon Kylie and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Guys, Ville Huso, and, you know, uh, we saw Jordan Bennington struggle against the New Jersey Devils on Thursday, but Ville Huso offered exactly what the Blues needed in between the pipes on Saturday against Chicago because he was confident and he made the timely saves. And I think you can call it a controversy all you want. They're going to have to have both goaltenders play at some points this season. But this is what they need from goaltending. You don't need to be perfect in these games. But what you need is when the team makes a mistake in front of you, your goaltender comes up with a big save. I can think of multiple moments where the Blues turned the puck over and Chicago got an odd man rush in the first period. Chicago would get a point blank shot from the faceoff circle. And Villejusso was right there for it. Did he give up a goal? Yeah, it was a five on three goal, which was going to happen. But stopping 15 of 16 shots, that was a perfect example of a game where your team in front of you played strong for 60 minutes, but they had me- they had cough ups. And when you have a cough up, that's where your goaltender comes into play.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that there's no controversy right now. There's not a controversy because there's a clear cut number one and a clear cut number two for the Blues. Ville, who says your number one goalie? He makes the saves that you need him to make over the course of a game. And it's not always perfect. It sometimes really doesn't look pretty, but he finds a way to get the job done, man. And that's been my frustration with Jordan Bennington all year long is those big saves where like you don't necessarily want to put it on him because the defense needs to be better in front of him. But Ville Husso is making the same saves that I'm watching Jordan Bennington not make. And that's what's so difficult to watch right now and come to the conclusion that it's the people in front of him. Do the Blues need to improve? Absolutely. In terms of the defense, that's as a team. Forwards, defense, their forecheck, getting more cycle into the Ozone, all of that. All of that has to be better. And I thought it was, for the most part, on Saturday, although you were going up against a much lesser opponent. We'll see if that sustains. But they also got some big-time saves out of Husso. The five-on-three goal, yeah, that stuff's going to happen. And you expect it to. The same thing is true for Jordan Bennington. But there were multiple breakaways where Ville Husso was just able to come up with a save that you don't expect him to. There were times when he had a point-blank shot on him where it was like, okay, this is the goal that you typically see against Jordan Bennington, and it didn't go into the back of the net against Huso That's what you've got to start seeing eventually out of Bennington. But until you do, there's a clear-cut one-two here. There is no real controversy the weird thing is that it's Ville Husso who's clearly emerged as the number one goalie.
3: Yeah, well, and Craig Berube, you know, he made the comment after that New Jersey Devils Day more, game, more so talking about the team saying that, you know, they lost their confidence when things were tied up. And I talked about it on Friday. Yep. It's a clear cut comp- comparison to, well, their confidence dropped because the goaltender gave up a goal. Here was Craig Berube after Huso's performance on Saturday.
1: He had a couple two-on-ones that uh,
3: made big saves, one in the second and one in the third couple other plays i think in the second period some good saves there too the one in the second is the one i want to hone in on because it was a sliding through the crease pad save that Bennington. you mentioned it because it was the exact same one that we saw twice against benner and in the last game. didn't make the save who yep. made the save here's the thing about this blues team we've talked about their identity we've talked about how they like to play fast they go through the rush they move the puck out of the zone but it's going to cause for turnovers and it's going to cause for problems Got to have your goaltender make those timely saves when a mistake happens so that your team can continue to play their style. If Husso gives up that goal in the second period that Benning, or that uh, Craig Berube mentions, I think the team loses some confidence, and I think the team plays a little bit more of a, okay, we got to stay at home type of offense. And let's not forget, in that second period, Chicago already scored at the 5-on-3. It was already a one-goal de- lead for the Blues Huso doesn't make that save. It's a 2-2 game. This team loses their confidence. They don't play the fast play style that offers them the opportunity to go and score the Tarasenko goal late in the second and then the two goals that they score in the third period. This team wants to have success. The goalie, whomever it may be, right now it seems like it's going to be Whoso. You got to make those timely saves so that the team can say, "Okay, he's got this." Now we'll go focus on our game. It's exactly what took place last or three seasons ago when Bennington took the net.
4: Yeah, as long as you don't have that kind of that head dip moment, and that's what Huso's providing right now it is it's that timely save or it's the save, even if it is it's just a called a normal save, an easier save. We've seen Bennington get beat on a couple of those this year where we go, "Man, that's just a bad goal. You can't give it up." I'm right. I'm, I'm avoiding the two on one ones. I'm talking about the there's a slap just shot a from shot. the point or there's a shot. just a wrist shot from the circle and it goes in those are the head dip ones and and he hasn't been able to make those saves that we saw from huso last night especially that sliding one that you're talking about in the second one that's a momentum saving save in fact maybe that's a momentum gaining save from billy huso and bennington hasn't been providing that this year he did a little bit of that early on in the season but yeah billy huso's been doing it all year And, and he's clearly become the number one because he's providing those moments for the blues and the way he played last night, or excuse me, Saturday, was just the further reminder of that because I get it, it's different circumstances, Bennington, Bennington faced more shots, but it, it definitely felt like similar scenarios, and Bennington just couldn't make those saves. So
3: here's the thing. Ville Huso, he was dependable like he's been all season long. But there was another moment in that game Saturday night that really stuck out to me, and I mentioned this on postgame. The Blues need to, if, they, if they're able to get these three players going, three players that scored in the game on Saturday night. T-bone three? No, it's not a T-bone three. Stay the hell away from that. This team is going to be near unstoppable offensively. And those three players were David Perron, who scored the power play goal, Vladimir Tarasenko, who scored the goal late in the second period, and Oscar Sundquist. It was a confidence game for those three players, in my opinion, because Shen's been playing well. O'Reilly's been playing well. We all know what Kairou and Thomas can offer. The same with Saad and Barbashev, although Barbashev's in a little bit of a dry spell right now. But the Blues need Vladimir Tarasenko. We saw how lethal he was. They need David Perron on the power play. They switched up the power play units, and he scores. And they really need Oscar Sundquist. If they're able to get those three guys going, I would... Again, back up my statement that they're going to be near unstoppable offensively in the postseason run. That was the best I've seen David Perron play
0: in months. He was aggressive. He he was all over. He was noticeable. Mm-hmm. Like the thing about David Perron is a lot of the time when he's not scoring, you don't really notice him in the game. I think the same is true sometimes with Vladimir Tarasenko. When he's not scoring, he, he sometimes can uh, just float back into the, the abyss. David Perron was super physical, and he was a nuisance for the Blackhawks in that game. If he can play like that, and the other thing that I think is noteworthy is that he did it without O'Reilly, because we've all kind of wondered, hey, is he a Ryan O'Reilly creation, or is this real, what we've seen from him? Well, on that third line with Barbie and Saad, he looked great on Saturday night. If you can get, you don't have to get that level of play from him, but 80% of it consistently, the Blues are in a really good spot. I was never worried about Tarasenko. He goes through these droughts. We've seen that before. But the other one that was impressive to me was not just Sunquist, but that entire fourth line. Yeah. I don't know about you guys. I don't think you can break that up. Dakota Joshua should continue being out there in the lineup. Costin has been super physical. You don't need him to be great. But that group, if they are able to play physical, they bring some energy to the ice, and they give you a solid 8 to 10 minutes per night. Man, that's all you need from that group with how deep this, this top nine is yeah, right now. Yeah, and I
3: think it was a confidence game for Clint Coston. I think he's just building off of what he's doing. he said post game that, you know, Costin's just skating right now, and I think that's impactful. Dakota Joshua does exactly what you want your fourth line centerman yeah. to do. He hits and he creates opportunities, which he did so in that uh, game against Chicago. But the one for me is Oscar Sundquist, and look, I, I think it's pretty evident he's not a hundred percent. And Sonny was on with Curbs and Joey after the victory on Saturday, and they asked him about where he is at in terms of his continuing growth after his long off season.
0: It's been painful a couple of games here, and uh, I mean, I feel feel like today my knee isn't isn't really where what, what I wanted to be. Didn't have the power that I wanted, but. You know, it's just
3: battle through those games, and uh, it's going to get better as, as long as we go here. The fourth line I've said is the difference maker for this team if they want to win a Stanley Cup. If you can get confidence from Costin and Bozak and whomever is going to be there, Brown or Joshua, but it's also Sunquist. Nine minutes and 43 seconds. He was 40% on the faceoff. You just, well, first of all, he had two points, a goal and an assist, but you heard him say his knee was nowhere near 100%. It's still bothering him. He still had three hits in that hockey game. He is an important player for this team to get going, and Baruby's talked about it. You know what? He might not ever be at 100% this season because of what he's coming back from. But a confidence Oscar Sundquist, even if he's at 50 percent, is a dangerous Oscar Sundquist. And we saw that against Chicago and look at the effect it had.
0: Yeah, I just think we need to have realistic expectations for what he is as a player right now. And it is not the guy that we saw during the Stanley Cup run. It's not the guy that he was even before the injury last year. This is a clearly compromised Oscar Sundquist, who's probably going to be a player that plays eight to ten minutes for you on a typical game, especially once you get into the playoffs. As long as he can be an impact player in those 8 to 10 minutes, you're good. You don't need him to be a guy that's consistently scoring a point per game or anything like that. Just be somebody that is consistently making an impact when you're out there. And that's fine. He is a fourth liner. Right now, that, that is obviously what his role is. But I think sometimes we see Sonny out there and it's like, oh, he's the guy that we all believe can be a top six, top nine winger for him. Not right now. He's not that today. I don't think he's going to be that at any point this season. Use this as a reset year, and then next year, hopefully, he's able to come back at 100%. But he's clearly not anywhere close to that. He just – sometimes you watch him out on the ice, and it's like, oh – that guy is just—he's playing at a different speed than everybody else, and not in the way that Jordan Kyrou
3: does. Blues will be back in action on Tuesday when they take on the Ottawa Senators. Puck drop with Curbs and Joey at six. I've got your pregame starting at five o'clock. We'll got, get more into the Blues. Uh, we already saw a trade happen in the NHL a little bit ago. Did we get chicken? No, mm-hmm. no, it oh. wasn't the Blues trade, but it was a team in the Western right. Conference, and I think that is going to set the stage of what the acquisitions are going to look like for teams that are looking to make trades around the NHL. So we'll talk. about about that coming up at twelve thirty. coming up next our questions and answers segment. send us your questions on the air comfort service text line 65780 we'll answer them next here on bk and ferrario on 101 espn
1: we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn
3: Tanner Hendrickson and Brandon Kylie. I'm Alex Ferrario, Air Comfort Service Text Line 65780. As we get to questions and answers coming up in our next segment, oh, we're gonna have to be Debbie Downers for a little bit because MLB negotiations. Eh, not so good uh, over the weekend. I know, I know, but at least we're not talking about the Rams winning the Super Bowl. Anyway, let's 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 start with this one on questions and answers. Boys, which of the teams from last night is more likely to be back in the Super Bowl in 2023? bangles or rams who's more likely t-bone i wonder who he's gonna go with here the Rams.
4: oh wow really guys yeah i think it is more likely to be the rams granted if aaron donald does retire then my answer completely flips to the cincinnati Bengals because the rams still will have pieces on that defense donald leonard floyd and jalen ramsey and they'll look to upgrade that as much as they possibly can in the offseason, but they're going to return most of their weapons offensively. I know they're going to lose Odell Beckham, but he's going to be lost to most teams for most of the year next year because of what I assume is a torn ACL on his knee. We'll find out more of that later on, but they're going to have Matthew Stafford back. They're going to have a healthy Cam Akers for a full season. Uh, plus, they're going to have Cooper Cup still. Tyler Higbee will be back in the lineup. And also, Robert Woods will be returning from his torn ACL. So, they're going to have all the weapons back offensively. They'll have to upgrade a left tackle because I'm assuming Andrew Whitworth's
3: going to retire. I think their left tackle's fine. <laughs> so.
4: But other than that, I mean, defensively, they'll have some question marks, but I think it's more likely they get back. I I just don't know how much I'm going to buy into Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals because they're going to have to go through a Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. I expect the uh, Chargers to be better with Justin Herbert and also Lamar Jackson and the Ravens to be better. So the AFC is loaded. Meanwhile, the NFC right now, if, Rodgers does come back. It's basically I look at Rodgers being the only quarterback that might be better than Matthew Stafford.
3: Yeah, I mean I think the safe pick here is the Rams because I just don't see the NFC being very competitive next season, especially in the NFC West. I mean Kyler Murray's going through his days of our lives moment with the Arizona Cardinals. Russell Wilson, who knows what's going to happen. San Francisco, and you might get Rodgers, you might get Brady, you might have Trey Lance. So I think that's the safe pick. Trey Lance. I know you never know. I, I. I do think Cincinnati in a lot of this rides on them being able to return a lot of their defensive players, but I do think if Cincinnati's able to at least get some help on that offensive line, they can still be a very dangerous team next season.
0: Yeah, I think they're going to be good. I view them as being in the muddled middle of the AFC, though. I kind of agree with what Vegas has it right now. If you're looking at just the AFC's odds to win the Super Bowl next year. The Chiefs and Bills are overwhelming favorites in the AFC. Both of them are listed right now as co-favorites to win the Super Bowl at 7-1. For what it's worth, the Rams have the best odds in the NFC along with the Cowboys, both at 12-1 in the NFC. But then you go to the next tier in the AFC. The Bengals, Ravens, Broncos, Chargers, Titans, Browns, Colts, and Patriots are all somewhere between 21-1 and 28-1 to win the Super Bowl next year. That was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 different teams. That basically means there's a tier at the top of two teams, Chiefs and Bills. Then there are eight teams, eight of the 16 teams in the division, in the conference, rather, that are all basically the same, according to Vegas. And I think that's right. I think that the Bengals are a good team. They overperformed relative to expectations this year. I do think the coaching's gonna catch up to them eventually. Zach Taylor, I just don't buy into it. Last night I think we saw some of the downfalls of him being your head coach. Too many runs on first down. Not trusting his quarterback in big time situations And I just, I think that The Bengals were a good team that got a little lucky That's okay, you can win a Super Bowl that way The Eli Manning uh, Giants Good team that got a little lucky And it worked out for them, they won a Super Bowl He's going to be in the Hall of Fame because of that But the Bengals to me they're in that same tier with the Ravens, the Chargers, the Titans, the Browns, the Colts, all those team Patriots. They're, they're all kind of together to me.
4: Do you, do you still because I think we talked about this after they won the AFC championship game. Do you still still view the Bengals as a team that's probably like two, three, four years away from being actual contenders? Because to me, it felt like the Bengals. Look, they were good this year, and I'm with you that they got kind of lucky and got into the Super Bowl. I think they were, like, ahead of schedule. Like, I think it was one of those where, like, they were a team that maybe they could get into the playoffs or they will be close to the playoffs. And the next year, they kind of take the next step. And then two, three years, we're going, okay. that's a team that's an actual contender. That's the way I viewed them. I don't know if everybody in this room still views them as a team that's, like, two, three years away from legitimate contention.
0: I agree. Yeah, I I think they're kind of on the same timeline as the Bills were a couple of years ago, where... They were ahead of schedule. You could see it. You could see it coming. You could see they clearly got the quarterback position right, and they needed to surround Josh Allen with talent. They went out and got Stephon Diggs. They drafted Dawson Knox. They brought in Emmanuel Sanders. They ended up drafting Gabriel Davis. They ended up getting a couple of different running backs that could be in that system. They improved the offensive line in front of them. They invested in free agency with Mitch Morse, and they also drafted a couple of guys. That's what the next step is for the Bengals. You can see it. They've got the running back, they've got the quarterback, they've got the weapons. Now, this offseason, they need to do what the Chiefs did last year. Invest everything in the offensive line. There should be five new starters. Uh, There should be at least three going into next year. The problem for them is, you mentioned the defense, Alex. I'm a little worried about that defense taking a step back. Because if it does, they're going to need a hell of a lot more from the offense. As much as we talked about how great Joe Burrow was this, this postseason, you look at some of the scores... And it wasn't as if that offense was tearing it up against the teams that they went up against. That was the defense that carried them to the Super Bowl. It felt a lot like an early Tom Brady Patriots Super Bowl run where Burrow was able to hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, make a big play late. That's pretty much what it was for them in the playoffs. And then they just they ran into a game where they couldn't make that play at the end. And their defense did everything it needed to to be able to beat the Rams. So, yeah, I think the Bengals are a solid team. I don't view them as being a Super Bowl contender next year. And maybe that's me being a hater. You can call me that. That's perfectly fine. We'll talk again this time next year when they're eliminated. Hater.
3: Air coverage service text line 65780. Boys, we hear you say the Blues can't afford to give games away. They have to win now. How many games can we expect Huso to play down the stretch? All of them. <laughs> no, not all, all Is of that them. out of it of a stretch. So, yeah, 36 games
0: left the rest of the way can we do this over like the next 10? Because I think it's really hard
3: to project after that. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, look, there's six back-to-back. So I can tell you Bennington's playing at least six games. Um, That's it. it. If I look at the schedule over the next, let's just go the next six games because the month of February. Sure. You don't have any back-to-backs. I think what you'll probably... one or two. I think you'll get two. I think he'll play against the Montreal Canadiens on, two, on Thursday. And I think he'll either play against the Flyers or the Buffalo Sabres. And is going to be playing against the Maple Leafs against the Chicago Blackhawks because like it or not Craig Bruby and his coaching staff have a schedule you got to try and find a way to get Bennington right but at least for the next six to ten games I would imagine Huso's probably going to play seven of those ten yeah I think it's
0: three of the next ten that I've got for Bennington so I've got him playing potentially on Thursday against Montreal in Montreal Um, I've got him they have a game where they go Friday Sunday Buffalo and then into Chicago I think you'll see one of those will be a Bennington game. And then the other is the back-to-back with New York and New Jersey, back-to-back on March 5th and 6th. So, yeah, I think it's seven for Huso, three for Bennington, barring something changing over the next 10 games. And then
3: what gets really interesting is March and April, because March and April, I mean, you're basically playing a game every other day. I think from March until the end of the season, you have one stretch where you have more than two days off in between games. And that's where you need Bennington to be better. mm -hmm. Like, this is a big part of what we're talking about here
0: is, like, Right now, that's the plan. If Bennington starts playing better, you could get to half, or maybe even Bennington taking over the lead role again. That yeah. is not out of the realm of possibility, but you just
3: need to see it from yeah, it. Because listen to some of these back to backs. You got Nashville and Winnipeg. I mean, that Nashville-Winnipeg, those are going to be important games. You got Edmonton and Calgary. You got Minnesota and the Islanders. Minnesota in Nashville and Arizona in Anaheim. I mean, you got tough back-to-backs for the rest of the stretch, so they're going to have to find some type of writing of the ship when it comes to the goaltending game. This usage. is,
0: to me, Alex, just reverse what we were talking about at the beginning of the year. Yep. How often would we really Huso have so. started with Bennington being your lead guy? Whatever you thought that would be at the beginning of the year, just flip that, and those are the rules now.
4: And, and the thing for me is, because I'm with you guys, I think it is going to be 7-10 for Huso, then 3 for Bennington. I think these are important three games for Bennington, because then you're going to kind of have an idea. This is that three-game period to kind of get him right. I mean, you can go against Montreal, one of the worst in the East. Uh, if you go against Buffalo, another one that's worse in the East. And then whether it be New Jersey or the Islanders, both teams are not very good in the East. I'd probably start him in that game against the Islanders because we saw how he was against the Devils. Three pretty bad teams in the Eastern Conference. These are the three games to build up confidence before you get to that stretch where it is every other day that the Blues are playing with multiple
0: back-to-backs. I ask, can I answer one more real quick, one more question from the text line? Sure, buddy. Uh, 65780 seven, oh, is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 573. Why does it sound like VK speaking with a roll of quarters in his mouth?
3: Oh, come on, Tex. I want to laugh
0: at that, but I can't because I'm in so much pain. It's <laughs> unbelievable, Tex. Um,
3: hey, buddy. It's all right. Remember, they called me elephant man for I like don't... the first month and a half. That I, I was had back surgery on my mouth yeah. over the
0: weekend. I'm playing hurt today. So Alex is taking the lead. And that's probably how it's going to be for at least the next hey, few days. Jordan, <laughs> I'll be your Pippin. I'm doing my best here, but that's that's why like, I don't know who like you are. For, uh, you're I'm like, like Steve, Steve Kerr. Kerr. Oh well, my he had God. a heck there of a that's
3: incredible. Mostly because you're short. That's doing my best. I that. apologize. It doesn't sound great. Uh, this is where we are. BK, you're sounding great, buddy, and I appreciate you trying to battle <laughs> through this one with Brandon Kylie and Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Super Bowl, but more so the non-game related ones, because I, I really want to find out who won our BK and Ferrario Pick'em challenge, we gotta talk about the halftime show. But coming up next, MLB negotiations took place over the weekend. And guess what, boys? Surprise, surprise. We got a deal? Nope. Went the opposite way. We'll go into that next coming up on BK and Ferrari on 101 ESPN. <laughs> weekend you get a blues victory over the blackhawks it's super bowl sunday whether or not you want the rams to be in it you still got to enjoy the super bowl what more could you ask for
4: it's baseball season out the super bowl is
3: well it's actually playoff hockey season i don't know if you know this about st louis like this is the stretch run into the playoffs we get to you get to hockey once you hit about may or june that's that's when baseball season starts you looked at a calendar buddy yeah Yeah, this is this is this is postseason hockey stretch run right now (laughs) well I, i can tell you what it's not right now It's not baseball season because the negotiations over the weekend didn't go so well. You guys remember when Rob Manford talked last week and he was like, hey, we are not suspending spring training. The season will start on time. We are going to offer the players a strong deal that they can't refuse. And? Well, guess what? No deal took place. Jesse Rogers of ESPN, he tweeted this out on, what was it, two days ago, Saturday, Friday? MLB presented a 130-page CBA proposal today. It included eliminating a draft pick penalty for going over the first CBT threshold and small increases to the first threshold in years 3 to 5. Not great. Year 5 was $220 million. Now they offered $222 million. So we're going up. On top of that, they also offered... The minimum salary, correct? They went from 650, 615 to six hundred fifty, and then seven hundred thousand for zero to three-year players. And on Saturday, they bumped it to seven hundred twenty-five for that final year. Pre-arbitration bonus pool, service time manipulation, yeah, roster they, they continuity—they basically the same deal. They time. basically just uh, you know added, added a little incentive on top of it. But they put a cherry on top of their previous deal and thought that one was going to get it done. No surprise, the players—they weren't happy with it.
4: Yeah, no surprise at all. I, I mean, I pretty much thought this was going to happen this weekend. I think we talked about it. I mean, this had to be one of those deals where it was if we wanted something to get done, the owners basically had to come in, sweep in, and just make major drastic changes to the proposal. And I think we all thought going in that it was basically going to be what they had done before, where it was just barrier, like little baby steps, little baby steps towards the middle, and which both sides doesn't even want to make. So now we're definitely – I wouldn't be shocked within like the next week that Rob Manfred has another press conference saying that spring training's delayed. Honestly, of how disastrous that last press conference was, I wouldn't be shocked if it's just a memo. We see a, a tweet from like Jeff Pass and saying, oh, ESPN acquired a memo from Major League Baseball saying that spring training will be delayed and yeah. it's being suspended. Correct
3: me if I'm wrong, but didn't I see – I saw some analyst tweet out that apparently in those conversations on Saturday, they basically put a deadline that they have to make a deal – So that the season starts on time. Yeah, the owners
4: put out, uh, supposedly in the proposal, the MLB owners have circled a date in which they believe is the deadline for things to be done. Granted, it was, as far as my understanding was, it's not known whether, A, what the date was, or B, if the MLB PA agrees with that date. So I'm assuming that date's within like the next five days. That would be my assumption. So just playing on spring training being delayed, and, and I would be honest, expect opening day to be delayed as well
0: yeah so over on The Athletic Evan Drellich and Ken Rosenthal who've been doing great reporting on this from the very beginning said fan optimism for the season to start on time at this point would not be based on anything actually happening in the talks there's still time for that to change but there's no reason to believe it will at least not yet in other words the season's not starting on time and this is no longer just about spring training. That's been done. We've we've known that. Uh, the only person that seemingly was hesitant to announce as much was the commissioner of the sport. But everybody else knew when he gave that press conference, okay, baseball's not starting on time, at least spring training. Now we're starting to talk about the regular season. And that's what's so frustrating, man. You're supposed to, yesterday, every year, when you get done with the Super Bowl, you see the tweets right afterwards. Blank days until pitchers and catchers report. And this time it would have been like 12 hours until pitchers and catchers report. Like they should have been going down there today, man. And yet here we are on Valentine's day. And this is now what? 10 weeks since they officially locked out the players. And there's been like three offers from either side. I mean, they're barely even negotiating at this point. So I think you're probably going to see a mediator at some point come into the fold like the owners had asked, except the players wanted them to at least give another offer to the the players. They believed that it was a good one, even though it wasn't really compared to what the players are asking for. So we knew they weren't going to accept that. And then, by the way, over the weekend, uh, in what was a poorly timed uh, leak, I would say, apparently Major League Baseball is arguing that minor leaguers <laughs> should be unpaid during spring training because they, quote, gain life skills, end quote. Uh, This is basically them saying, hey, minor leaguers, you shouldn't be paid because this is an internship for you. Which is ridiculous, of course. All of us can agree that's an absurd stance to have if you're the owners. But this is where they're coming from. They they believe that their laborers are not on the same level as them, and that's how you get into this kind of a situation.
4: Yeah, and, and they're the minor league players. They call them professional baseball players. They're viewed as professional baseball players, so it's ridiculous that they shouldn't be paid. And just the major league baseball, not even they're not even moving on offers. I think it was in that piece from Evan Drellich and Ken Rosenthal both sides see the middle and both sides view the middle as a loss and that's just a terrible way to head into the negotiation there should be give and take on both sides and it's just not happening on either side both sides think that each one is going to cave at the deadline which is opening day because they think that when paychecks are missed both sides are going to go okay well we got we got to give up on this we got to soften our stance we got to get a deal done and, and the way that I see it is the players have stood strong so far, and I expect them to continue to stay strong. I, I don't think they're going to cave in as easily as the owners thought, and I think that's ultimately going to what we're going to lead to a opening day being pushed back, and in my opinion, probably the first month of the season
3: season being pushed back. The problem for me too is is the the core economic issues and where the owners are going with this. I, I mean, again, on Jesse Rogers' piece on ESPN, the MLB offered. Straight salaries, 615, 650, 700,000. And the players were asking for 775, if I'm understanding this correctly. So they're only jumping at about $15,000 from what the players are wanting to what the owners have offered. And with that on top of the pre arbitration bonus pool, they haven't even moved the needle on the biggest issues. Yep. They can talk about the service time manipulation. They can talk about the DH. They can talk about expanded postseason. Sure, that makes you feel like that they're, they're, they're moving in the right direction, but they're not even bringing up the biggest issues in the lockout, which, yeah, maybe they have that, that kill date to where they have to sign a contract so that the season can start up and the owners are hoping that the players will cave because they don't want to miss any games and don't want to miss that paycheck. But you got to move the needle, at least at some point, because otherwise you're not going anywhere and everyone's going to be missing paychecks.
0: Yeah, I don't know if the owners care. And I don't know if the, at this point the players care. I think they're both kind of set on their sides and they're they're waiting for the other. They're, they're playing a game of chicken. Unfortunately, the problem is in this game of chicken, the only t- entity that really loses
3: is the fans. Yeah. And I don't think you can come back from that either. I mean, I know people are going to return to the game, but if you start to miss actual games and these arguments continue to go on, you're going to see a lot of people just ticked off moving forward. See, here's the thing. I actually don't believe that to be true here. I think there will be markets where they lose
0: fans as a result of this. I think here in St. Louis people will go back. Like, we're so addicted to the Cardinals, man. If they end up missing 20 games and they play 140 games this year, we're going to be talking about it. Fans are going to be watching. We'll all be frustrated by it, of course. I'm not saying that they should go down this path because it doesn't matter. But it's kind of like the NFL where everything could be going wrong. The week before the Super Bowl, think about how many things came out that were like, yo, NFL needs to get his bleep together. And yet we all sat down and watched that game yesterday. Even though we hate the Rams, we weren't all that interested in the game itself. It's not a compelling matchup compared to some of those that we've seen in recent years. Because we're all addicted to football. And the same thing is true about baseball here in St. Louis. Like, we'll we'll all continue to watch. Uh, Tanner, you're going to be watching. Alex, you will be. I will be. Obviously, part of that is professionally. (laughs) But most of the people in our audience as well if you're a baseball fan and you were watching the games before you'll continue to do so after
3: tanner you're done just because they took the d or they uh, took pitchers hitting yeah you i way. actually didn't need the labor negotiations just a dh <laughs> with thing. tanner hendrickson and brandon Kylie, i'm alex ferrario coming up in 15 minutes to doug armstrong give his thoughts on what he's looking to do at the trade deadline we'll get into that but coming up next super bowl quick hitters not game related we'll have some fun with this one next round on became ferrario on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
2: count that
3: that big with tanner hendrickson and brandon Kylie, i'm alex ferrario here on bk and ferrario the air comfort service text line is 65780 we had a text on friday after we did our bk and ferrario Pick'em challenge saying we'd love for you guys to recap your bets from friday on our Pick'em challenge well as we get into some non-game related super bowl quick hitters because there was plenty to talk about beyond the rams beating the Bengals. Let's start here and recap some of our bets from Friday. How do you all think we fared?
4: I know I did not. No, fare well. No, you did not
3: fare well. So let's Just go like through the normal these. Normal pick of myself, and, we'll, and we'll start with Tanner. Rams use all six timeouts. That was his first bet.
4: It looks so good in the first half too. Did they
3: even use one timeout? They did. They used
4: all three in the first half, and then they didn't use one in the second, I believe.
3: Well, you, you choked on that one. Um, you you did a a parlay of Von Miller being the MVP. Close. Uh, No, that wasn't close. A QB kneel on the final play. That Uh, hit. uh, First play gains a first down. That wasn't close. That was not close. (laughs) I think it was like a one yard run. So T-Bone right now is 0 for 2. And then the final one where we thought maybe he'll pull out a victory. You bet that it was Orange Gatorade dumped on the winning head coach.
4: And it was blue.
3: All right. So T-Bone. Close.
4: A classic T Bone 0 for 3. Are, are we sure that
3: was close? No. Nope. <laughs> Is blue and orange close to I'm not even sure there was I don't orange even think that's right close on to the each other line. on the, oran- or on the uh, color scale. All right. So, so T Bone starts off on with three. Let's see how oh, myself fared over the weekend.
0: Alex made me put in a bet for him. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that. It was the worst bet I've ever placed in my life.
3: And then he texted me later on in the game and said boy this bet actually looks pretty good right now somebody, and, then he, and then he bko'd my my bet of possibly a winning 18 grand on the
0: parlay and he got three of them
3: uh, i got four actually but <laughs> we'll get to that Worst come on man my <laughs> bets i had over six and a half punts and i wish i could pull the audio of bk making fun of that bet on air hold on to where it he wasn't was. because
0: you bet the over six and a half punts it was because before you said that you were like oh there's gonna be all this all the scoring. Take all of the overs. Take the overs on Mixon and Higgins and Chase and Boyd and Cup and Odell. And you did that in your parlay, too. And also, they're going to have a lot of punts. So it was like, wait, those are diametrically opposed concepts. Well,
3: I mean, no. Because they're going to be punting
0: from the opposing 20? I don't understand. This I doesn't said, make sense. I, I said sense. that the
3: over was six and a half punts. And then I said on top of that, that the over 40 and a half, 88, 48 and a half points would hit. And no. I know it didn't hit, but I was a, a touchdown away a from that. Points. Okay, look, I got that one right. That's more than what T Bone can say. I also had Strong Burrow up. over ten and a half rushing yards, which did not hit. Tyler Boyd over forty-eight and a half yards, which did not hit. Although, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh, it did hit forty-eight and a half for Tyler Boyd. Yeah, but you parlayed it together, so it didn't well, hit. I mean, one out of two is not bad hit, on that one. And that then one I did. and then I made a parlay on the uh, California Love being the first song, and it was the second damn song of that one. So at least Ferrario got one, which is more than T Bone can say. My bets were Odell Beckham to have the longest reception.
0: <laughs> Looks good early say, on. It looked good. Looks <laughs> good early on. Ended up, though, T. Higgins had that 75-yard touchdown reception, so that didn't hit, even though that shouldn't have counted because that was a penalty. Odell Beckham Amen. at least five receptions <laughs> in the game and a Rams win parlayed together. Well, no, he didn't have five receptions. He should have if he didn't tear his ACL, which has now been reported. He reportedly tore his ACL on Sunday, so he's going to be out. For I the just next needed six one more months. I
3: just needed one more catch for 12 yards. He should have tried to come back and play. And I said Joe Mixon
0: Mixon rather would score the first touchdown. He did oh, not yeah. score a touchdown in the game. 0-4 oh, 3. All I right. Say, so
3: Ferrario wins the pick once again. My biggest bet that I
0: made this weekend was for Aaron Donald, Von Miller, and Trey Hendrickson all 3 of them to have a sack in the game. That one came through. Yeah. To
3: well, here. yeah, so so what you mentioned with my bet. So I put together a eight-leg parlay, which would have won 18 grand if I would have hit on this. Yep. I had Boyd over 42 and a half receiving yards. I had Burrow under 278.5 passing yards. I had Beckham scoring a touchdown. And I had Cam Akers under 63 and a half rushing yards. That worked. Looked great for me. But then Burrow decided not to run the ball over eleven and a half rush yards. That didn't happen. Chase didn't get a touchdown. Beckham uh, was twelve yards shy of his receiving yards, which I needed, and then I took the over forty-eight and a half points. Beckham so. getting hurt killed you. Yeah, it really did. It lost all of my excitement in the game. So don't bet. Kids. What's it's not fun?
4: What's funny about that is BK saying, "Okay, that's the worst bet I've ever placed." Just the text chain of BK trying to get Alex not to do it this weekend. It was, are you sure you really want to do it? Yeah, send it in. I'm gonna win eighteen grand. Alex, this is the worst bet I've ever played. Just push forward, we can yep. do it. And then he and then Four what's two is BK's like, maybe you should take this one away. How about we add that one on instead? It's like, no no no, we're not getting the concept,
3: but you know what? Look, I when you second guess yourself on a multiple choice test, you always get that one wrong. Yeah. You go
0: with your gut. My favorite thing is when Alex will have two things that are like again diametrically opposed he's like there's gonna be 30 punts in this game and joe burrow's gonna go Take over, me over 400 passing yards it's like wait
3: i would but never do something that like that It seems really difficult i would never do something like that i hit to find out how i this hit is gonna on work. the over on the punts and i was a touchdown away from hitting the over so okay. let's back off a little bit okay. here
0: non-game related what would you guys think of the halftime show
3: go ahead t-bone
4: I thought it was actually good. I, I said it was average. Our text changes just because I knew it kind of yeah, irked you, you guys. You got, me, you got
3: me ticked off. I, I didn't know a, a lot of the that. songs,
4: but I thought it was good. I mean, their lip sync work could do me a little better, but other than that, I thought it was it a good halftime show. Can I be show. honest about
0: the halftime show?
4: Greatest ever.
0: I thought it was good. <laughs> the production value I didn't think was all that great. Doesn't matter. There, there. No, I, I agree with you. I had a really good time watching that. I it was they an over o-
4: overproduced uh, the weekend last year.
0: I agree, but at least there was something going on. There was a show. It was more than just watching a guy lip sync to a song. There wasn't a whole lot going on with this one. like there there were a few moments where there were like backup dancers. that was cool. But for the most part, it was just them standing on a house that they put in the middle of the football field, which was cool. But that was my one big critique is like i I prefer like the Beyonce show that you got that was awesome that was wild uh katy perry the show the left like it gave you moments right yeah like there were moments in those i didn't feel like you had anything like that with this the songs were awesome it was directed towards alex and i our generation which is kind of weird which means we're getting a little bit up there Hmm. in age but for anybody between like 25 and 40 that was a really cool show to watch last night I just didn't think it had a whole lot of production
3: value going on. So, to me, that was the best Super Bowl halftime show that I've seen in a really long time. Better than Katy or Prince. Better. I don't really remember Prince, and I'm not a Prince in fan. The rain. So How about that, I'm, I'm Purple not, Rain in the Rain. I'm not a big Prince fan. That and he, uh, BK meant, uh, nailed it. I mean, that was nostalgia. Like yeah. that took me back, which was so cool. But I mean, it was it was the fact that you had all of them there, and it's you know usually when you get surprise artists like when red hot chili peppers showed up with that was Bruno Mars, wasn't Mm -hmm. it? That was awful. It like took away from Bruno Mars's performance. For me, I thought that was the best in a really long time. And I know a lot of people hated it, but it was really awesome to see all of those guys together. People hated it? I no, feel, yeah, I, I feel like most people enjoyed that. Oh, see, I saw a ton of people on social media, and maybe this is just a small demographic, but I saw a ton of people saying like, hmm. "This yeah, is I terrible." A lot of I can't really enjoy it. People were saying, "I can't understand anything that they're saying." Look, that's that's hip hop. I mean, it was it was
4: the first time that I can remember seeing on social media being the question asked of was that the best
3: uh, Super Bowl halftime show ever? Like, yeah.
4: the the weekend didn't get that. No. I can't remember a lot of halftime shows getting that. So I thought it must have received pretty uh, well acclaimed so, reviews. So
3: this wasn't part of the halftime show. This was the pregame show guys what the heck was the the rock in his intro i don't understand i I told t-bone i told t-bone in the office i'm like what's going on right here i'm a huge rock fan but like are you trying to pump up the crowd because it's not working you're already pumped up i was like
0: if the rock wanted to go out there and do something and it would it was cool because it's hollywood blah, blah blah that's fine i ain't got no problem with that he took too long it's like, like it four was, minutes. He was cutting a promo
3: for WWE and he was out there trying to get everybody excited, but he called the Bengals the most electrifying team in all of football. All of that, I just expect that stuff to be said, right? Like that's that's how you build up a big game. I but was watching him just saying, okay, announce if the XFL's coming to St. Louis or not. I, it just it was too long. You could do that for
0: like 10 to 15 seconds, but then you gotta get right right to it. Yeah. But Michael Buffer doing the let's get ready to rumble thing, like that's one thing. This th- this was dumb.
4: Yeah, I, I was not a fan of it because it was A, too long. It, B, it, to me, it just didn't make sense to do it. Why do you need it? It's the Super Bowl. It's the yeah. big game. You don't need that pump-up thing. I, I wasn't a fan. Of it. I think the funniest part about it, though, is it went too long. And in the background, you could see him like trying to fire everybody up. And like in the background, you just see the Bengals like standing there, like staring
0: at the football. Like, okay, Those family, players get this probably thing going. hate
3: all of the pregame Uh-oh. festivities oh, yeah. because they're like, can we just play the damn
0: game already? Sitting around Tom waiting. Brady's talked about this where he says like part of the success that he had in the Super Bowl was understanding the clock. Because there's just so much more time, downtime, whether it be the commercial breaks being a Half-time's little bit longer, like halftime minutes. being yeah. longer. The pregame festivities, where you're just standing out there for like ten minutes because you got America the Beautiful and you've got them doing the national anthem while you're out. there. like all of this stuff just takes more time than it normally would for a game, and so there are guys that really struggle with that because they get amped up and then you got like thirty minutes of downtime and then you're back into it and then down. There is there is a skill to being able to uh, go through all of that. So you In mentioned the, the
3: you mentioned the commercials, BK, and I feel like you have to talk about this after the Super Bowl. What do you guys think? Any standouts? Did you enjoy them? Me personally, I thought they were all kind of blah this year. Like, it's rare for me to not walk away and say, oh, yeah, that one was memorable. I don't really know if there was any that were memorable. See, I
0: thought there were a few that kind of stood out. Um the nft one where all they had was a qr code i thought that was an effective advertisement i else
3: try to scan it yeah i mean everybody probably did because I mean, it was
0: on your screen for 30 seconds did and you're work? like what the hell is this i actually
3: did what they did in the office i was just waiting for the actual square to hit the exact perfect yeah. side of the tv screen and get excited
0: the way, did the qr code actually lead to anything does
3: anybody yeah, know the that? website
4: oh i couldn't get it to work Dang it. Uh,
0: i thought the pringles one know. was fine uh i really enjoyed the jones's one the toyota where they had the three Joneses oh, yeah. and then Nick Jones Jonas and- squ- uh, drove up and he said he's keeping up with the is now. I thought that was clever. I
4: like the E-Trade baby coming back. I that thought was that was clever. Yep. And it was like one of the first ones. I thought the Amazon one, uh, election one was okay with Scarlett Johansson and uh, oh, what's his name, John Blank, her husband. Saturday oh, night oh night. Yeah. Colin- yeah, Yeah.
3: I thought that was clever. but other than There, that, there yeah. were two that stuck out to me, which, again, it, it's it, – I don't even know if I remember the product. I just remember the commercials. It was the Jim Carrey as the cable guy, and it was the Austin Powers one. I don't even know if I could tell you what the product were. I think Verizon was Jim Carrey, if I'm not mistaken. But those are the only two commercials I was like, oh, yeah, that was pretty good. I thought the LeBron one was cool, but I'm also a LeBron hunk, so I I thought
0: that one was pretty cool. It was a little too much. That's fair. I I actually thought the NFL one uh, bring down the house. I thought that was great. I thought that was a really cool one where at the end they've got the... Uh, Justin Jefferson doing the Gritty. I thought that was a cool one, too. I, I thought the commercials, I think every year we get to it and it's like, man, that was a letdown. What's, what's I thought they were fine. Yeah. I didn't think there was a whole lot of funny, though. This yeah, year, I, I thought yeah, they, that's let, true. they let Maybe go that's the way, funny. Because yeah. I always
3: look for, forward to the funny ones, and it felt like they were more dramatic than they were funny. Yeah. Because
4: that's what I was just going to bring up. Every year, it's like I always had this hype of, oh, there's going to be all these great, funny Super Bowl commercials. And the last couple of years, I've kind of walked away like, eh, you yeah. know, there's some. Nothing. There's some that always stand out, but it's it's yeah.
3: not always there for me. With Tanner Hendrickson and Brandon Kylie, I'm Alex. Oh, we got one more. What are we doing? Alan, Chris. Oh was that God. the last time we're gonna see them? I hope. I mean, it is. But oh yeah. It's
4: sad. They're they're the guys I grew up watching, growing football. I was telling you guys in the office, they and Buck and Aikman are the last of the two pairings of when I grew up watching football, and now they're both more than likely gonna be separated. it Sounds like. And it kind of sucks. I'm not going to lie. I love Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth Sunday Night Football.
0: The way for people 10 years older than us, Alex, uh, probably if you're 35 to 45, you grew up with John Madden kind of at the back end of his prime. And that was the voice of football for you. For me, Madden being with Al Michaels was like the beginning of my football watching existence. So Al Michaels, kind of like you, Tanner, for me, if there's a big game on, I expect Al Michaels to be the voice behind it. So to not have him on those big Sunday night games anymore is going to be weird, man, because as much as they try to market it, Thursday night football is just not as big as, as Sunday night. It's and it's, on.
4: and it's usually where you throw, because I think if I'm not mistaken, every team has to have a primetime game. And that's usually where you throw the crappy teams. Like We had a Thursday night game of Jacksonville and the Jets.
0: Yeah, that's what you And now I got to hear
4: Al Michaels call that game. It's and if Al Michaels
0: right. is on the call and Amazon is paying this much money, they will make them better games. There will be better matchups. It's still not going to be the same as being on Sunday Night Football. That is prime time, baby. Those are the biggest games. It used to be Monday Night Football. Now it's Sunday that you expect the big games to be on. And for whatever reason for me, I don't know if you guys feel this way, the games feel bigger when Al Michaels is on the call.
4: I would agree with that. I I think he's the best broadcaster that's going now. And I I, I like Joe Buck, and I like uh, – who does it with Roma? I'm drawing a blank. Um, Jim Nance. Jim Jim Nance, Nance, thank you. I like Jim Nance, and I, I, I don't mind the Monday Night crew. I think they're okay. But yeah, Al Michaels is the guy for me. He's the one that I've grown up watching on Sunday Night Football. He's the only him and Chris Collinsworth are the only ones that I can remember and doing Al Sunday and Chris Night Chris Football just games. How Al and have a
0: great dynamic. They've been I doing really it for what, the twelve years?
4: Them. Yeah, which is amazing. So, so
0: it, it sucks to me that this is gonna that was potentially and very likely the last time that we see those two together on NBC. I'll still watch Thursday, probably oh, probably because of be Al- all of them. Well, like, yeah, <laughs> but I mean,
3: I, I, like I think my interest will more just be so I can hear Al Michaels again rather than like watching because you know with the Sunday one you have Al Michaels and Collinsworth but you kind of tune it out because of the game I think Thursday is just going to be more so to listen for the play by like Al Michaels is is the Doc Emmerich of football for me
0: I he always has that. been that.
3: He's always been that. He's just so good at it yeah. with what he does, and he brings entertainment value with it as well. So that'll be uh and, and who are they supposed to be replacing him with on NBC? It's probably gonna be Tarico.
0: It seems like Mike Traco's got the inside track. Yeah, I think it. it'll be Tareko with Collinsworth on NBC. I don't know what they're gonna do on Fox. I would imagine it'll be Greg Olsen who goes with, with Buck? Joe Buck if yeah. if uh if they end up having Troy Aikman go to Thursday nights. But yeah, my guess is it would be Buck with Olsen. Olson. Tariko with uh, Collinsworth, Collinsworth and then it'll be Calzan Aiken with Aikman Aikman. But I heard earlier today, if you missed it, check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101ESPN app. It's possible that Aikman will do Thursday night and Sunday still. So oh. it's up in the air as to what that's going to look that's like.
4: You I thought money. you were going to say, <laughs> when you mentioned the tease of the podcast, I thought you were going to say the Sean McVay
3: retirement rumors. I was like, oh, please don't oh, tell no. me that's going again. Going right back into that one. He's Brandon Kylie, Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. It's BK and Ferrario on 101ESPN. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get to the junk drawer. But coming up next, Doug Armstrong gave his thoughts on what the prices are going to be at the trade deadline already seen a trade pull off in the nhl today how does that comp into what the blues possibly could do we'll get to that next year on 101 espn
1: we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn
0: Do you wait and hope the price goes down? Do you capitalize early and hope that whatever the demand is now, it's
1: less than it will be? Do you try and add in a player that you're no longer wanting to have that salary cap hit? If so, what are you willing to give up at the same time?
0: In order to make all this work. And I think that's a tricky part for Doug I'm sorry.
3: That's Jamie Rivers from the Fast Lane talking about the decision for the Blues of what to what to do before this March twenty first trade deadline around the National Hockey League and wondering if the prices are gonna go up, if they're gonna go down, depending on who the player is going to be. We've already seen some predictions of first round picks, third round picks. Prospects that are gonna have to go out for the blues if they want to acquire that defenseman. And with Brandon Kylie and Tanner Hendricks and Alex Ferrario, we already saw the the first I guess if you want to call it big trade go down prior to the trade deadline earlier today the Calgary Flames acquired Tyler Toffoli right winger for the Montreal Canadiens for a first round draft pick a fifth round draft pick a prospect and a player Tyler Pitlick who had some contract in term on his contract so the Calgary Flames acquire a Arguably top six winger for their playoff run. And the price was a first round pick with a couple of other assets going into this one. And earlier today, an article on The Athletic came out from Pierre Lebrun talking with Doug Armstrong just about the decisions on what to do around the trade deadline. And BK, for me, I think Doug Armstrong kind of said what everyone is saying right now in terms of the prices, what you're going to have to pay, the difficulty with the flat cap and looking for teams that are going to have to eat some salary when it comes to a defenseman. I think you're starting to see a clearer picture of what it's going to be to acquire that guy to play in your top four if you want that.
0: Yeah, it's going to be expensive. We knew that was going to be the case, and the question is, what what do those prices look like now versus later on? And Jamie Rivers talked about that. That's what you heard coming back. But he even uh, expanded on that a little bit more on Friday on the fast lane. Is there a moment where maybe you waited too long? Because now when Doug Armstrong or GM X, Y, or Z go to pick up the phone and call a team about it, Oh yeah, you thought it was—you thought the asking price was a second round, right? Today it's a first rounder and a prospect. Oh, but wait—you said, nah, I know, I changed my mind because I saw just how badly you need this player, and so I've changed the asking price. This is where Alex—I—I I do wonder if the Blues situation is going to end up coming back to hurt them a little bit in these negotiations. And the reason why I say that is because everybody knows the Blues are desperate. It's not that they would like to add a defenseman. Unfortunately, right now, it looks like they need to add a defenseman. And I am curious to see. It looks like um, Scott Brunovich is making his way back to the ice. He was on the ice once again today based on if he is on LTIR, and that hasn't necessarily been confirmed. But if he is, he needs to miss at least two more games before he's eligible to return to the lineup for the Blues. I would kind of like to see him get some opportunities out there, man. Like I know right now, Jake Wallman had a decent game on Saturday night, but I don't think he's going to be the answer for them. He was a healthy scratch all year long for a reason. If they end up with getting Scott Perunovic out there and he looks great, well, now you are doing it less so from a place of need, a ne- of necessity, and it becomes a, hey, if we can get something out there that's available to us, we don't have to worry about necessarily paying for the top-end top, top end prices. We can go out there and get somebody like a Zidane O'Chara who makes a little bit more sense yeah, for
3: us. Yeah, and that's where I think Doug Armstrong at least portrayed to Pierre Lebrun a, of where this team is at. You know, I don't think they're looking at a Jacob Checker, and I don't think, as much as we want it, looking at a Mark Giordano because— I don't know if it's because teams are like, oh, yeah, now we know how bad you want a defenseman and the price is going to go up even more. I think the price is just going to be that. If you're Seattle and if you're Arizona, you're asking starting with a first-round pick, and then it will drop if teams aren't willing to pay that. And Doug Armstrong, a quote in the Athletic article with Pierre LeBrun, this is what he said about a rental. He said a rental is much different than someone who has term. Because a rental player, your team understands what it is. It's very clear. You bring in the rental to replace a guy with term, and all of a sudden the rental is gone, and next summer the guy with term is back and going, now you need me. And I think that kind of ties into a Scott Perunovich. You got Scott Perunovich, who's a restricted free agent after this season, not going to cost you a lot because he hasn't played an awful lot of games. But if he's healthy in the final 25, 30 games of the season, and you go out and trade for a Mark Giordano or a Jacob Chikrin, a guy like Nikol Mikula or Scott Perunovich are going to look at it as like, oh, you didn't think I could do it this year, but now you need me back. And I think that has to go into the consideration for Doug Armstrong if you're going to look to make a move. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree. Like, They've had their chances, and Nico well, Nicola Mikula- hasn't. Huh? Mikola hasn't he hasn't had the chance to be the top guy he's had the chance to play in the bottom pair this is his first chance Mikula? to be the top guy yeah yeah it's been like two months though it's been two like and a half months it's been like 20 something games and he hasn't performed bad to the point where you're like oh you can't do this like I mean, if you were to tell me that if, G- he, if he was performing really well though we wouldn't be having this conversation right now well I think he is performing well I think the conversation is you want to be better And you have a guy who's green right now. And Scott Perunovich hasn't really had that shot either because he's been injured. Yeah, Perunovich is a different conversation. That's why I would like to see him get a chance on that third
0: pairing before they make a move. If That's what they're trying to upgrade. I I just I I disagree on the Mikula side of things. I I do think he's been given a shake at potentially being the top guy this year. And I, I don't know that it's been great. I think he's had times where it looks really good. I think there have been a lot of times where it looks like you would like to upgrade that top pairing defensively to find a guy that maybe fits a little bit better with Colton Pareko. I think eventually he could be that guy. I think the Blues would tell him, hey, we believe in you. We think you can be a top-pairing defenseman. And if they get a guy that's on an expiring deal, I think that's exactly what they're telling him. They, I mean, Barubi would be great at having these kinds of conversations. We know he's had them before, and he will have them again in the future. If you are a guy like, a, for example, Ivan Barbashev, you start out as a fourth-line player. You work your way up. You start producing more. They can work you up and down the lineup. Eventually, when you start producing the way that Barbashev has this year, you've established yourself as a top six forward for this team. The same thing can be true for Nico Mikula. You start out as a guy that maybe gets into the lineup every once in a while as the third pairing. You're getting some healthy scratches. Eventually, you get that opportunity to be on the top pairing with Colton Pareko. Ups and downs, ebbs and flows, as we've seen so far this year. And then next year, if he gets the opportunity again, I think he sh- he might be able to flourish in that role. But he's still green right now. And that's not a shot against Mikkel. I think that's just the reality of where we are. I-, I do think that the Blues right now reek of a little bit of desperation to other teams. And the only reason why I say that is because I do think that changes a little bit what teams are asking because they know you need it. If I, Alex, have... The only water in St. Louis. I know this is a an outlandish recommend or uh, comparison, but you are you are dying of thirst, and I have the only water supply in St. Louis. I can charge you whatever I want to because I know you're going to have to pay it. The same is true right now for the Blues. If you're another team and they come calling, you know they're desperate, so you're going to be asking a little bit more. The price goes up for that team because the demand is so incredibly high. As it gets closer to the deadline, I don't know if that sustains. It may it very well may. Or it might go down a little bit. I, I I just don't know. It depends how these other teams are viewing their current hands, hands as well and whether or not they need to get rid of those guys. Yeah,
4: I, I'm kind of with BK. I think the Blues do kind of wreak a little bit of desperation. I mean, you look at all the underlying numbers. I mean, the goals against her are, I think, like eighth in the National Hockey League. Everything else you look at, they're in the bottom third of the NHL. I saw you tweet something out uh, over the weekend, Alex. I think it was, and the Blues were. Tw- I think it was like twenty eighth. Uh, I don't even know what goals allowed. Yeah, so they were twenty eighth. So
3: I mean, at five, you can five.
4: see you can see it with the eye test, and you can see it when you look at the numbers that the Blues are kind of reeking in that th- need of a top four defenseman. And it kind of reminds me, it's a different situation, but it reminds me in the situation the Cardinals were in. I mean, they desperately needed starting pitching in June. Damn. And John Mozaylock said it. He said. Look, as much as we'd like to go get somebody, we just can't trade for somebody right now. I mean, the asking price is just absurd. We're not going to give up our top prospects for a guy that's like a number three arm at best. We're not giving up a top prospect basically for a Steven Matts. That's basically the scenario the Cardinals were in. And that's kind of where I think it, it's a little different scenario because it's not injuries that are necessarily impacting the Blues. It's the roster they have. And I thought this was an issue heading into the this pass-off season and they didn't address it. But they clearly need help, and I think what's going to happen is they are going to settle for the guys that don't have as much value, like the Mark Giordano is the name that we've talked about, the guy that's got the expiring deal. Because I think if the Blues could get a Jacob Chikrin, I think they'd love to. The problem is that his asking price is going to be a lot, and then on top of it you go, OK, well, you guys really need a defenseman, so you're really going to have to sweeten the, the tough pot. tough
0: part, Alex, and this is something that we saw over the weekend, it, it sounds like the asking prices for even the guys that are on the expiring deals are first-round pick plus right now, and at least for a defenseman, and that's where things get real tough.
3: Yeah, and that's why I don't think Doug Armstrong is going to be making a move. I mean, if that's what the asking price is, I don't think it comes down to desperation. I think he truly, whether you like it or not, trusts Mikhail M. Perunovic and that they can at least do something. But it comes down to the evaluation of the team, and Doug Armstrong mentioned that as well. Like, You have a lot of games compared to what you usually do because the trade deadline normally is towards the beginning of March because the regular season usually doesn't go the entire month of April. It's only the first week of April. You have a lot of games between now and March 21st, which gives you an opportunity to evaluate your team, and this is what Doug Armstrong's been so good at over his career, and And we feel like this is a team that has the offense to get it done. Villejusso's playing well, you go all in with it, but does Doug Armstrong feel that way? And I think between now and March 21st, you're going to get a real idea of this, and you start narrowing it down. Ben Sherratt's going to cost you a first-round pick. Mark Giordano's going to cost you a first-round pick. Jacob is going to cost you more than a first-round pick. So it's sell the farm and get worked over, which Doug Armstrong doesn't do or try and find somebody else that might be flying underneath the radar to where you could pull the trigger. But if it's the first and more, I don't see Doug Armstrong making the move then.
4: Yeah, see, I, I think he has to make the move because, I mean, I mean, we just talked about it. I mean, it's clearly a need for the St. Louis Blues. And I look at them, and I texted you guys this last night. To me, they feel like kind of in a spot that the Rams were in. I mean, you saw the talent on the Rams. What did the Rams do? They went all in on this season to make sure that they were able to kind of secure that Super Bowl, or at least give them the best chance to do that. I look at the Blues and I kind of I see the talent on this team and we've talked about it. This is the deepest this Blues forward group's been in maybe ever. So there's clearly one hole. Why not go in and plug this hole? Get it fixed. Get rid of some of the assets that's going to require. Maybe it is a first round pick. Maybe it is going to be some prospects. And sure, is it going to hurt? Yeah, but I think if you can if we can fix the defense this Blues team is going to be Stanley Cup contenders, even in a loaded Western Conference, in which I believe Colorado is the best team. I don't think a trade for a defenseman is going to put them above Colorado, but I think it gives them a chance. Right now, I look at the Blues team and I say, I don't know if they can beat the Colorado Avalanche in a best-of-seven series. I just don't. I think if you add a defenseman that can help Pareko shut things down in that top pairing, and you've got a third pairing of Mikula and Bortuzzo, then I think the Blues, with goaltending with, from Villehuso or J- Jordan Biddington, whoever's playing better, then I think the Blues actually stand a chance to take down the Colorado Avalanche in a
3: best-of-seven yeah. series. And this is where the general manager comes into it, and also plays into that as well. Like you're you're weighing the decisions. Is the asset that you're getting worth the piece that you're giving up? And that's how Doug Armstrong views it. I'm not saying this because I think yeah. you do need to get a defenseman. But if you want to mark Giordano and you have to outbid the highest bidder, probably going to have to throw in a Scott Perunovich. Does two for months? Giordano? Yeah.
0: Oh well, then that's not happening.
3: Well, that's that's where I'm getting. I mean, if you're going to want the top guys, a Mark Giordano or a Jacob Chikrin, you're into those conversations because it's it's a bidding war, and we've talked about the desperation from the GM. Yeah, we don't need to talk about them anymore. Then,
0: like that, that's how well, that's, I feel about it. Honestly, if if you if you get into a situation where Jordan, like Chikrin, I've kind of written off for a while now because of the term that's remaining on his contract. If Giordano as an expiring deal, right? Yes. yes. If you he's an expiring deal and you're giving up your top prospects in your system for him, I'm not interested in any way, shape or form in doing that. And if that means that they get Zidane and instead, that's fine. I, I would rather go that route. I'm not giving up um, Scott Perunovich for a rental on a guy that is solid, but doesn't necessarily make the, me the clear cut Stanley Cup champions. Yeah.
3: Well, we like I said, we've already seen one trade go down, and that's a player with terms, so it'll be interesting. Once that first domino falls in terms of defensemen being traded, whether it's Ben Sherratt or Jacob Chikrin or Mark Giordano, that's going to be a telling sign of what the asking price is right now. With BK and Tanner Hendrickson, and Alex Ferrario. We will get into the Super Bowl and how much impact we felt Matthew Stafford had in that game will be. But coming up next, the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario.
3: We've got In or Out coming up in about 15 minutes or so. You can send your scenarios to us on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. T-Bone, what do you got for us today?
4: Okay, guys, we know here on BK and Ferrari, we're always trying to live longer. Ever since hmm. Mike Schultz told us if we were more optimistic in life, we would live longer. Truth. So I'm going to add to us our life expectancy here because according to a new study, you can optimize uh, with a the optimal optim, optimized diet. You can live 13 years longer. What's, how about that, what's
0: guys? the diet? Yeah, what's the, so what's the diet?
4: you're going to focus less on eating red and processed meats and no, more fruits, vegetables. I don't know how to pronounce this one. Whole grains and nuts. By that, you can live 13 years longer, according to the survey. Now, granted, you have to start about age 20 to optimize to the 13 years. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to give up. I'm going to yeah. not work on the 13 years. I'm having brats for dinner, so it's done. Give me those...
0: The what things you that need? i got to cut
4: back on? Okay, so you got to cut back on eating less red and processed meats. Okay. And then you have to have more fruits, vegetables, a uh, uh, word I don't know how to pronounce, whole grains, and nuts. The word I don't know how to pronounce is legumes. L-E-G-U. Yeah, yeah,
3: legumes. Yeah. So like peas and Ugh, things yeah, like that. No. Beans. Beans. You, know,
4: you know what peas are made for? They're made to be frozen to put on your scrotum when you have a, you know what. Okay. Yikes. So That's basically,
0: don't eat red or processed meats. Eat fruits and vegetables. Yeah, Other, otherwise known up. as, hey, let's go back to kindergarten, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Eat the good foods for you. And somehow you live 13 years longer. Look, I like this cake is too much. basically the way that I eat. So I'm in. It sounds
4: good to me. All right. So you'll make it to like 100 and I'll be done by 87. It'll be great.
3: Cake too much, so I'll die <laughs> happy. That's a good call. I'm passing actually. out, I'm passing on all of those. I eat my fruits and vegetables, but I, I also like everything yeah, else that but, comes with you it. you ever
4: have a meal and you're just like okay i'm gonna eat the main course and then i'm gonna cook the vegetable later and then you eat so much of the main course you're just like i'll pass on the vegetable i'll make up for it another time yeah, that's Alex's Tuesdays. Yeah, that's not my every why? What was that again? It's basically my meal. You know, you eat the main course, and you're like, oh, man, I, I'll, I'll have the vegetables later. And then you just don't go back to it. I'll give you a great and idea. And then you I'm skip that to, step and
3: go to the cake in your, your case. going to Cheesecake Factory this evening for Valentine's Day with my wife. There and guess what? We're right. going solely because we want cheesecake pass on the vegetables so i'm gonna go get some type of red meat to vicks and get me the cheesecake
4: by the way this cheesecake oh, i had
3: vick's cheesecake okay, for thanksgiving so last year it was
4: incredible i don't like cheesecake so i'll just put that out on the front end yeah. but like does cheesecake factory actually have like main course dishes yeah like i honestly did not know that until yeah. i started They've got watching. a massive menu really? really it's incredible i didn't
3: know that see until from the 314 this is how you live longer i'll take steaks today in exchange for slower movements at the age of 80 there you go mm-hmm. I'm sorry.
4: But, like, I did not know that Cheesecake Factory had, like, a— I always just assumed like, you walk in, you sit down, you have a slice of cheesecake, get a cup of coffee, and go. I didn't realize they had a menu what until— do you
3: think this is, the 1970s diners? Yeah. No, like, I did. it's a I restaurant. S- I
4: kid you not. did not realize they had a main course menu until about two weeks ago when I was watching Big Bang Theory, and one of the characters is a Cheesecake Factory worker, and they were having a meal there. I was like, what? This must be fake. Like, they don't have food at Cheesecake Factory besides Cheesecake. Apparently I was wrong.
3: Also, Tina, the, the text line would like to know why you were so specific on frozen peas. Because
4: peas are disgusting. And let's be honest, apparently they're only used will, to ice things. Apparently
3: you only use them for one thing, which uh, might tell you why you shouldn't plan on living longer with... Your decisions on using peas. I'll but go. Early. Tanner Hendrickson and mm-hmm. Brandon Kylie and Alex Ferrario coming up. Fifteen. We'll have in or out. But coming up next, how do you feel? Matthew Stafford, Stafford impacted that game last night, and did we get a little too carried away with our love for Joe Burrow? We'll discuss that next here on One Hundred and One ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on One Hundred and One ESPN.
2: Down by four. Stafford, receivers in tight. He gets the snap. He cocks his arm. He throws a pass. Caught with the leap. Belt high. Far side of the end zone. Touchdown cup. The Rams have taken the lead. The Rams have taken the lead. One twenty-five to go.
3: I'll be honest. I thought Matthew Stafford was average last night in the Super Bowl. I didn't think at all he was a difference maker for the Rams. And with Tanner Hendrickson and Brandon Kiley, I'm Alex Ferrario. Maybe I'm the minority there. Because I just didn't feel like Matthew Stafford had as much of an impact as guys like Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, Von Miller. I I thought he was good. But I also think he was potentially losing that game for the team until that drive downfield. And then we all know the flags get thrown in and then the team scores the touchdown. Am I in the minority, BK? Am I the only one that felt like Stafford was just average? So it's interesting because
0: I think Stafford did exactly what he's traded to the Rams to do. They needed him to make a couple of big plays to be able to get them over the top. That's what they needed. And against the Bucks, guess what he did? Big play over the top to Cooper Cup. Exactly what they needed to be able to send them to the NFC championship game. On Sunday against the Bengals, when they needed a big play, he pulled off a no-look pass across the middle to Cooper Cup. Again, kudos where it's due. Matt Stafford, when the moment became the brightest, when he typically, I, I would expect him to falter, he came through in a big, big way. That being said, he also put himself into that situation. The couple of interceptions that they had weren't great by him. The one in the end zone was brutal. It wasn't ideal. (laughs) Um, he, he He did not have a great game. He was fine. And I felt that way about him for most of the postseason. I thought he was elevated by the playmakers around him. That being said... I was really impressed by what Matt Stafford was able to do down the stretch with no Odell Beckham. He had nobody other than Cooper Cup to throw to. Their top two starting tight ends were out, and they were actually down to their fourth tight end because Kendall Blanton got hurt in that game as well. His running backs could do nothing in the running game. Daryl Henderson was helpful in the passing game, but you knew when Daryl Henderson was in the game, they were passing. Alex, we talked about this before the show. You knew if Akers was in the game, It's going to be a run. If Henderson's in the game, it's going to be a pass. You got a clear tell as a defense, which makes things more difficult on the offense. The only guy that he trusted to catch a pass because everybody else was dropping them was Cooper Cup. So you knew on that last drive, I predicted it. You predicted it. Tanner could predict it. Everybody in our audience right now predicted it. It's going to be Matt Stafford throwing to Cooper Cup. And they got the job done. So credit where it's due. That's what we ask of quarterbacks in the biggest possible moments. He came through multiple times this postseason when he needed to. But I don't think that we need to come on here and say, yeah, he's clearly a top five quarterback now because of what he did in the playoffs. No, he deserves a credit. He's probably going to end up making the Hall of Fame, whether we agree with it or not, based on him winning that in that performance. But. I feel pretty much the same way today about Matthew Stafford as I did coming into the season. I think he's a really talented quarterback who has the potential to make really big-time plays, but there are just some times where I don't understand what he's looking at. So I would still put him right into that like 6-12 to range in terms of the best quarterbacks in the league.
4: Yeah, I thought he was average last night as well. I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, he was the reason the Rams won the Super Bowl. I just can't because I'm with you guys. He played kind of the average game. He kind of played what the Rams acquired him to do was... Go out there, make some big plays, don't turn the ball over, and don't have the Jared Goff moment where if a blitz comes, you like freak out like a robot that just had coffee spilt on it. So they, they they did exactly what I thought the Rams were going to do, and I'm with you. That, that last drive, I thought the only way the Rams were going to go down there and take the lead was somehow the Bengals forgot about Cooper Cup and it was just a long shot down the field. And I thought Chris Collinsworth said it best on the broadcast. I think he said when that drive started, I think it was after the first play of that drive, I don't care if Cooper Cup's doubled. You gotta find a way to get him the ball. And that's basically what the Rams yep. did. They force fed Cooper Cup. Matthew Stafford was throwing it to him. Luckily the Bengals kind of sat off and did kind of a little bit softer coverage, sat in zones or they had him one on one. And the Rams took advantage of it. So Stafford did kind of what I thought, and that was the reason they traded for him because I don't think Jared Goff leads the Rams on that drive to take the lead in that game. I, I just think the don't. only
0: throw that cut, or that uh Stafford made on that drive that um Goff wouldn't have was that throw across the middle, the no look pass to Cup. I don't think Goff can make that throw. I don't think he would make that throw. He's not open enough when he threw it for him to be willing to say, "Okay, yeah, I see it now. Uh, That's something that Goff really struggled with. He needed to see you get open before he was willing to throw it. Stafford will throw you open. Those are it's it's a weird differentiation, but that's kind of the the way that they play. Other than that, though, I thought most of the other throws Goff would have made. But that is a big one. That That's a huge throw and a big that throw, time I don't think they win the Super Bowl. Totally with you. So, like, it, it does change the outcome of the game, and it it's a big one. But that, that was the one that I was like, okay, there's no chance Goff makes and, that one.
4: And the other reason I say I, th- I don't know if the Rams win that Super Bowl with Jared Goff is because Jared Goff was so reliant on Todd Gurley to establish the running game that he could benefit from having play action kind of scrambling and hitting that guy on that cross route. With no running game, which the Rams had last night, absolutely no running. Stafford led them in rushing yards for a big chunk of that game with seven on a scramble.
0: Going think, into the fourth quarter, the, the successful like 22 runs, yards. Oh, which yeah. is like at least four yards on first down, getting whatever you needed to gain on third down. So if it's third and two, a two-yard run there would count as a successful run. They had zero successful runs going into the fourth quarter as an offense, which is ridiculous. That's like one of the lowest success rates we've seen all year long by any team going into the fourth quarter.
4: And I just think without the running game, I don't know if Jared Goff plays well. And that's what happened in that Super Bowl two years ago when, when they did, when Gurley, he was quote unquote healthy, but he's dealing with an injury. Like the Rams barely used Todd Gurley in that Super Bowl two years ago. They had no running game, what happened? Jared Goff and that offense gets shut down. Sean McVay overthinks because he had to, and the Rams lose that game thirteen to three. With no running game, Matthew Stafford can survive because he's good. If he can throw guys open, as you mentioned, he doesn't have to rely on play action to move linebackers and hit guys on crossing routes. So I, I agree Stafford was average last night. But if you just swap Stafford for golf, like if the trade never happened, I don't think the Rams A are in the Super Bowl and B, they don't win that Super Bowl game.
0: Guys, can we react to this text real quick? This comes from the 618. Stafford was gifted that win by the referees. Listen, I, I, that was not a perfectly officiated game, and I don't know why they started calling everything down the stretch when before then it was it, they, they were letting them play, which I prefer. I, 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 I like it when they call the games that way where there's fewer penalties as a result. They missed a call on T. Higgins' touchdown. That should have been called back. It should have been going back the other way, and instead the Bengals got seven points out of it. Later on in that game, they called the wrong thing, in my opinion, when they called the holding on Wilson, the linebacker, saying that he grabbed Cooper Cup. He didn't. It shouldn't have been called as a hold, but they still had to then go in and score. That's seven points going in either direction that was given basically as a result of a couple of bad calls. Otherwise, I didn't think that the game was called all that poorly, the rest of it. So if you're a Bengals fan today and you're holding on to, hey, they they lost that game because of the refs. No, no, that's not true. You lost that game for a lot of different reasons. I don't think that you can blame the refs on either side. If you're a Rams fan today or Bengals fan today, I don't think you should be blaming the refs. Yeah,
3: look, in the Wilson non-call or call that shouldn't have been called, that wasn't the difference maker. It was the two flags that basically gave the Rams that touchdown, and all of those those were great calls because he was obviously holding him. You said it best in the office. Both calls resulted in a touchdown for both teams, yep. and then the game was decided the rest of the way. So I'm with you. I, I'm always in favor of letting the team play. I know all of the flags started to come off in the second half, and that's where people are saying that, you know, the Rams basically bought that Super Bowl victory. No, Cincinnati didn't make the stops, and the Rams scored, and Cincinnati couldn't score. Cincinnati had the opportunity to drive down the field, and they didn't. Cincinnati's last five
0: drives. Four punts and a turnover on downs. That's yeah, how Ferraro like six the acts. over. You, you, you can only blame yourself when that's what your offense is going out there doing. I saw somebody earlier today said that the, the Bengals should have run the ball more down the stretch. No, they, they lost because they were going down with their captain. Their captain was Joe Burrow, and he was the one that got him there. And he wasn't able to overcome the defensive line prowess that is the L.A. Rams. And it was the question we all had going into the game. Eventually, your Achilles heel comes back to bite you. And the Achilles heel for the Cincinnati Bengals, we knew it coming into the year. Alex, you said they should have drafted uh, Panay Sewell as as part of this. They had an offensive line that was atrocious. They had, they had way too many guys on that line that shouldn't be starting for a legitimate contender. And it came back to bite them. And that's what ultimately lost them the Super Bowl.
4: And on the offense, and, and this reminded me of that when you made that, it reminded me of this. Let's not forget, okay, the Bengals wanted to shift momentum heading into the second half. What do they do? They have the massive passing touchdown. They get get the lead and they go up uh, 17-13. Mm-hmm. Rams first play throw a pick and the Bengals start with the ball at the Rams 31-yard line and they Great don't point. do anything and it leads to a field goal. At the time you're going, okay, they have got a seven-point lead now. That's a drive that if you're the Bengals, you have to find a way to punch that football in the end zone. Because if the
0: Bengals score on that drive, not a field goal, the game is over. They went for it on fourth and one. That's a good point. This is That was a really big drive there. They went for it on fourth and one from the Rams' 22-yard line. That was when Joe Burrow did the scramble right up the middle, was able to get a great play by him. Their next three plays went for negative two yards. Like, that's on you. I, I can't blame that on the refs. That's not on the, 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 the offensive line. Like, that's you got to be able to come up with something more there. And they didn't. And earlier in that game, by the way, the turnover on downs on their first drive as well, that's another one that we can point to. Joe Burrow just missed a wide open T. Higgins. He threw it to a double-covered Jamar Chase. I didn't understand it at the time. I continue to not understand it now. That game might look completely different. If they're able to convert on that drive, they get past midfield, and they get, at least get points out of that.
4: Yeah, and... Just the fact that they were not able to punch that ball into the end zone when they were up seven. I mean, that's the the moment at the time that we didn't think much of it because they go up seven. But that's the thing we talked about in the playoffs. All playoffs we talked about it. They had a lot of drives where it was they couldn't punch it in the end zone. That was one of your critiques on the Bengals heading into the Super Bowl was their their offense has been kind of average. You know, they get the ball, they get down towards the red zone around that 30-yard line mark, and they ultimately have to end up resulting in field goals. And I it ended up being the difference maker kind of for them. You didn't realize it at the time. But you look back on that drive. I'm telling you, they scored that touchdown. This Rams offense without Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah. was not going to score two touchdowns. It just was not going to happen.
3: He's Tanner and He's Brandon Kyler. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, are the Packers ready to do everything they can to keep Aaron Rodgers? Sounds like it. We'll get into that. But coming up next, in or out, send your scenarios to us on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. That's next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's In or Out with BK and Ferrario. What are you
3: doing? Oh. I don't know. Driving's got me all messed up today. I'm not singing there. That's you.
4: I know. You ruined when, it. When
3: BK's not here or when I'm driving, you got to sing. Yeah. What did I just try to do? Maybe BK should have sung. I, I do not do that today, buddy. <laughs> with Tanner Hendrickson and Brandon Kiley, I'm Alex Ferrario. It is in or out. Send your situation scenarios on the air. Comfort service text line is 65780. We will tell you if we are in or out. Let's start with this from the 618. Do you guys think next year's Super Bowl winner is a lock to come out of the AFC? Or let's just say it in the scenario that we need to. The AFC will be a Super Bowl winner next season in or out. I'm in on this.
0: There are a lot of teams that are solid in the NFC. Like, I think that the Rams are going to be good again next year. I think the Cowboys, yes. Packers, 49ers, I think all. I think those are your, your clear-cut top four teams. And I do, at this point, expect Aaron Rodgers to be back in Green, Green Bay. And I think they'll do everything they can to bring back uh, Devontae Adams as well. I don't know what the 49ers quarterback situation is going to look like. And that's the wild card there. I really like the Rams, Cowboys, and Packers, though. But I think the best teams right now are clearly the Chiefs and the Bills. And depending on, like, a lot can change in the offseason, of course. Maybe Russell Wilson gets traded. Maybe we see Tom Brady unretire and he's suddenly the quarterback for the 49ers, which completely changes this conversation. Tom,
4: don't you freaking do it.
0: But as of today, I would say I'm in because I think one of the Bills or the Chiefs will win the Super Bowl next year.
4: I think I'm in on that. Well, I think next year's the year for the Bills. And I think it's just kind of accumulating to that. And I think the Chiefs are their biggest obstacle, of course. And that's why I just couldn't take them in the game this year, because I said you got to take down uh, the top guys. It's kind of like, who was it to Jordan? Jordan's had his enemy at the very beginning. Pistons. Pistons, thank you. And the Bills, I'm not saying they're going to end up being the Bulls and have a dynasty, but they've got that team that they have to overcome before they can take that next step, and it's the Chiefs. So I think it's one of those two. And then I honestly look at it, if the Chargers make the right upgrades in the offseason – Cincinnati make some of the right upgrades to the offensive line we talked about if they can get three new starters on that offensive line they can at least protect Joe Burrow and I expect Baltimore they're going to be healthy I expect them to be better the AFC has five teams in my opinion much deeper than the NFC and I would honestly take probably I would take Baltimore now healthy against maybe the Rams next year who I think will be up there along with the other teams. The Packers are probably the only team that I would throw in the mix in that AFC if I were going to throw them in like that top five.
3: Yeah, clean sweep. It. I'm in on this one. I think it's pretty simple. The AFC is going to have the winner because they have the most dominant teams going into the season uh, next year. In or out, air comfort service, text line 65780 from the 618. In or out, Robert Woods won the Rams the Super Bowl because he forced their hand to go get OBJ. He wasn't hurt
0: when they traded for Odell Beckham, though. He got hurt in the first practice that they had both. So out. Yeah. So I'm going to say out as well. Uh, They they wanted Odell to be their third receiver along with Cup and uh, Robert Woods. So I'm going to say out on this. But, man, I think Odell Beckham determined the out. Determine the winner of the Super Bowl this year. If he signed with the Chiefs, I firmly believe that the Chiefs win the Super Bowl because he signed with the Rams. I think that was the reason why they were able to get to and then ultimately win the Super Bowl because he was great. He was he was outstanding in the postseason.
4: Yeah, I mean, you look at what we talked about. I mean, look at the second half for the Rams. I mean, offensively, they just could do nothing. They couldn't run the ball. and They had a four speed cup to go even on the winning drive. So they don't sign Odell Beckham. And I, I can't remember when it was that Woods got hurt. It's like week. 13, week it was the 12. same week
0: they signed Beckham.
4: Yeah, so if they don't sign Odell Beckham, I mean, we're talking about a team. A, they probably don't win the NFC West, and B, then they probably lose in the wild card game round. In my opinion, unless they ran into Kyle so I know 16. he's so
3: I know he's got this torn ACL, and who knows if he's actually going to play? Who do you think the next team is that he plays for? Odell. Yeah, wouldn't be surprised if he comes back to
0: so the Rams. Rams. I don't know that they'll do it just because they've they also have Robert Woods and they probably need a little more stability from that spot since Woods is also coming back from an injury but it I mean he fit in seamlessly there he was great he was perfect for what they need I, I really do think there's a chance he signs with Kansas City i, I they they really wanted him at in mid-season this year, I would not be surprised if they decide to go that route. So either of those would make a lot of sense to me.
3: In or out on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 from the 314. In or out, Scott Perunovic is a blue after the trade deadline this season. In.
0: I would be really surprised if they make a deal big enough where he's going to be have to be included so I'm gonna say in
4: I think I'm gonna say in two. not not so much the deal that wasn't my first thought my first thought was just the injury history kind of in my opinion is gonna lower his asset value because this is back-to-back years where he's been injured uh, last year he missed well, all the, the whole season right he didn't play a single game and then this year he's missed a good majority of games so i just think his trade value is down right now that that was my first thought i do think it's possible too that there's just a deal that's not big enough to include him. yeah
3: i'm in on this let me change this a little bit in or out he's a blue next season Mm, that's a little different here's why i bring this up i'm I'm not trying to start the matthew kachuk rumors Uh, maybe i'm adding on to it but tyler to getting traded to montreal's are getting traded to calgary is really interesting because he's got two more years at $4.25 million. Johnny Goudreau is an unrestricted free agent after this season, quite possibly could be in the Hart Trophy conversation. And Matthew Kachuk, of course, is a restricted free agent. You're going to have a lot of mouths to defeat and not enough money to give that to those players. Wonder if Calgary gets into a situation where they can't keep all these guys and maybe Matthew Kachuk, depending if they go all in and win the or the Stanley Cup this year. Maybe they look at it as, okay, well, we got Tyler Toffoli. We know we're not going to keep Matthew Kachuk. We want Johnny Goudreau. Maybe we need to look out there and see what else is out there. What is the most you'd be willing to give up, realistically speaking, for Matthew Kachuk?
4: I'd say what? Two picks and a prospect? If
3: they said... I would give up Jake Neighbors. I think that would probably be the most.
0: You have to give me your best offer. This is your final offer. What is your best offer? We're taking all these, and then we're going to make a decision. This is the summer. What would you be willing to give up? What's the package look like?
3: I think I would probably do a neighbors, Perunovic and a couple of draft picks. First round each yeah. of the next two years. I probably would.
4: would. Would two firsts and neighbors do enough or would they need Perunovic in that deal?
3: I, look, I think, I think anything's going to work for Cal, for Calgary because they know oh, that well, they're not going to get, get much. Joshua in a seventh. Not, not going to get much for Kachuk. No, not that they won't get much, but you know you only got one season. If you know that he's not going to re-sign with Calgary, the cost is special, though, man. I understand that, but you think if you keep him, you know he's gone at the end of the season. You get to the trade deadline, and someone's going to make a move for him. The most you're probably going to get a first-round pick, maybe a good prospect for him so maybe I, I i don't know with guys like him i just i never know what the if
0: asking price I, if will i'm be.
4: calgary i would just it would have to be what we're talking about where it is maybe it's two firsts and two prospects and i'm not moving on that if that means he walks at the end of the season i'm okay with that because then i got a whole nother year of an elite talent that could potentially mean me lead me to a playoff run that's just how i would view it i don't know how calgary will view it
0: but. yeah i think i would do that deal that you mentioned alex Perunovic neighbors a first each of the next two years I would even throw in a second next year because you don't have one this year like I'd be willing to extend quite a bit to get that guy on the roster and you know what the other thing is like if Vladdy opened up his no trade clause and he was willing to go to Calgary as well I don't know that they could fit that in in terms of their cap that's part of why they would have to make a move like this but if you needed to do like Vladdy Perunovic first round picks I think I would do it with the understanding that he's going to resign here That would have to be part of the deal. As you know, uh, Matthew Kachuk will be here for the next six-plus years. Yeah,
3: And I think if you acquire him, you're locking him up so that he is here. You're probably buying up that year of arbitration, and then you're just going to lock him up long-term with it. So interesting development, no question, with the Montreal final one, boys. In or out, Aaron Rodgers is a Packer next season. In. I think I'll go in on that, too.
0: He's either playing for the Packers or he's not playing. I said this at the end of the season. I continue to believe it's true. If I'm the Packers, I will do everything that I can to make sure that he's staying there. And then if he decides I don't want to play for you guys, okay, you can sit at home.
4: And as I, BK would say, it's hard to make a miserable you-know-what happy.
3: Yep. I was out until I heard the news yesterday from Adam Schefter, and we'll discuss that coming up next. you on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: NFL quarterbacks stole the show over the weekend, and none of them played in the Super Bowl, Hmm. boys. I'm going to show you the cards, and you tell me which one you want to start with. With Tanner Hendrickson and Brandon Kiley, I'm Alex Ferrario. You want to start with Kyler Murray, Tom Brady, Carson Wentz, or Aaron Rodgers? Start with Kyler. I thought that was the most surprising news. All right, so we talked, T-Bone, I think I brought this up when BK was out that He basically got rid of all Arizona Cardinal references on his Instagram and Mm. social media pages. Basically took off the profile picture. He went to in a relationship, questionable. Well, now the Arizona Cardinals said, you do that? Well, we can do better because they deleted everything about Kyler Murray off of their social medias. This is awkward. Are the Cardinals basically sick of Kyler Murray after all of these shenanigans and say, guess what? We're done. So Chris
0: Mortensen reported over the weekend, the odd vibe between the Cardinals and Kyler is indeed alarming. He is described as, quote, self-centered, Immature and finger-pointing He's frustrated with the franchise And was embarrassed by the loss against the Rams And thinks he is being framed as a scapegoat Uh, Did he see that throw that he threw? Chris Mortensen So where's this headed? Despite the acrimony, the Cardinals expect things to calm down With Murray and him to continue to be their quarterback Some veterans on the team Hope to reach Murray on how to handle Adversity a little better Cliff Kingsbury is also self-scouting Where he can provide a better alternative For the quarterback I don't know where this ends up. It's like days of our live Arizona version. But this feels a lot like the situation that took place over the last few years with Russell Wilson in Seattle. I don't think it changes this offseason. I think Kyler Murray continues to be the quarterback in, in Arizona for now. If this doesn't go better next year with Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler, though, I think Cliff's getting fired and then it will be a situation where for maybe a year, maybe two, Kyler gets to determine how he feels under the new coach. I would not be surprised if three years from now, Kyler Murray is a starting quarterback in a team not named a Cardinal. So.
3: Or maybe a starting outfielder for the Oakland Athletics. Maybe or backup
0: quarterback, either or. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, but, I don't think that will happen. Yeah, this is an odd situation. But, I mean, like you
4: can see. like I, I wasn't shocked when I saw the report of, oh, he's a finger pointer and all that. Guys, every time I think I mentioned this after they got killed by the Rams in the wild card round, he goes to the sideline and he just kind of sulks. And he blames guy,
3: everyone else on I, his team.
4: I don't see much leadership when he's walking up and down the sideline. I see that from most quarterbacks. I mean, Stafford was doing that yesterday, Joe Burrow. I don't know if I saw that as much, but let's be honest, he has a right to be upset with the offensive line as much as he's being tackled. I mean, look, the, the laws is surely not all on Kyler Murray in that wild card game. But he was a big part of it. I mean, he was just terrible. Well, I mean, uh, throwing up lollipops for picks when yeah. you're about to be sacked. And what are we doing here? Happen. Where
3: you're you're saying that the 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 team is framing it that that I was the bad guy in the loss. You were horrible in that game yeah. against the Rams. What do you mean the team's framing that one? So Kyler Murray continuing his soap opera, and then there's the soap opera surrounding Tom Brady. We all know the news of Tom basically saying that's it. I'm calling it a career. I'm spending more time with my family. Oh. Apparently he's considering returning. So this came out over the weekend and uh and BK you sent us this link, Rob Gronkowski basically stating that uh, I think Tom Brady's gonna come back in a couple of years. Is this where we all are at? To where we feel like he's gonna take a step away from the game for a year, and then as soon as an opening that meets his liking, right out of re right out of retirement and hopefully going back to another Super Bowl. I've been
0: steadfast on this. I think he just doesn't want to play for the Bucs. I think that's what's happening here. I think that you got a situation where Tom Brady knows the Buccaneers are not going to win a Super Bowl next year, and he doesn't want to put in the time, the effort, the pain to get through another 17-game season and then go on another run in the playoffs for a team he doesn't believe can win the Super Bowl. If he were traded this offseason to the 49ers, I think you'd see Tom Brady on the sidelines next year. I think he would once again be the starting quarterback for this time, the San Francisco is, 49ers. Is
3: this, is, how, is this the only way he can get back into the NFL, is if he retires for a year and then comes back and plays? What do you mean? So, like, he's a free agent, or he's under contract for one more year with Tampa, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is the only way that he could Unless they trade him, you would have to retire for a year for you to play in the NFL again if you don't want to play for Tampa.
0: Yeah, I mean however he wants to do it, he just he's got one more year under contract with Tampa and then he's he's free to sign wherever. Um I I I think he would like to play that year elsewhere. I think that Tom Brady would like to continue playing. I don't think he is done with football. And right now, I think what's happening is the Buccaneers are saying you're not playing elsewhere. They're basically doing what the Packers did last year with Rodgers. They said, "Hey, you can either play for us or you can retire." And if you retire, God bless you, and it's going to be a bad hit cap hit against our uh our salary sheet, but we're willing to take that on. Cause we don't think that we're going to call your bluff. We don't believe that you're going to retire. Yeah. suckers. The bucks know he's going to retire, but they're willing to do this because they don't want to see him play elsewhere. So is that I, the team I think San Francisco. Or is there another team that sticks they're out? The one to that it. makes the most sense.
4: And could make sense in another year. Probably. I mean, they, go to
0: Arizona. <laughs> they don't have the weapons. I mean, look, it's not all on Kyler, but <laughs> they don't have the weapons. That's, you know where it would make a lot of sense. Cleveland. They won't do it. But Cleveland makes a lot of sense for him. Do you think Baker, they got the weapons? They could do it, actually. They, they could add one weapon and you feel really good about it. I mean, yeah. Baker will be Travis up after Landry next year, right? Travis makes all the sense in the world. He's just that running back that plays slot receiver. Add in Allen Robinson or Odell Beckham or whoever your next guy is that you want on this year's free agency crop, they could easily make that work. And they've got a really good defense. And, ba- and it works out time-wise, right? Because it, this is the last
3: year of Baker's deal,
0: right? yeah, He's on his fifth-year con- fifth uh, option, option, but they could trade him and have
3: basically yeah. no dead
0: money. If I understand it Well, correctly. you know
3: who it isn't working out for right now? Carson Wentz and the Indianapolis Colts. Shocker. So there apparently is belief that Colts quarterback Carson Wentz will probably be traded or released before March 19th per Chris Mortensen. That's when the $15 million in base salary becomes guaranteed. Uh, his future in Indy looks quote-unquote bleak. If you're Carson Wentz, you get traded away from Philly because... Well, you're not the guy to Philly. You go to Indy, and then you start getting blamed because you're not the guy there. Because he stinks. I mean, do you just call it? No. I'm going to keep making money. Okay. I keep making money as a backup? Yeah, yeah money as a backup. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, look I'm not at your retiring. buddy, Blaine Gabbert.
4: He made a good earning off as a backup. And yeah. He's the number
0: one quarterback the right now is in Tampa. He's 29 years old. Ain't, ain't no way he's given up millions of dollars a year. No, I, say, I, th- I think I he say, can go compete it. somewhere, too. Like you you put Carson Wentz in Houston he could be their starting quarterback next year. It's not a good situation but he could go there and compete. You could go, go with to Davis Mills. You could go with the Giants. He could compete against uh what's his face Daniel Jones. He would Washington. make a lot of sense to the Giants. Washington, Washington. makes a lot of sense. Like he'll go somewhere and compete for a starting job somewhere else. He'll be kind of the Nick Foles. I know that that's strange <laughs> given the, the history between the two of them but he'll be the Nick Foles where he goes somewhere else and he's immediately in competition with that guy or Ryan Fitzpatrick. And
4: let's be honest he probably will be somewhat of a quote-unquote hot commodity on the market because look at the NFL draft. There's not a lot of quarterbacks that we look at. There's going to be like six that get taken, but you look at it and you don't go, that's a guy that can come in and impact my franchise in a heartbeat. Like you mentioned Washington. If you put a quarterback and just let's say Wentz can just get back to being average, I mean, that that Washington team has a chance to be really good. They've got a solid defense. They don't have the necessarily great weapons on offense, but they could add those to kind of surround Carson Wentz. So he's definitely going to have another job. I I think this kind of puts – Frank Reich and the GM in the hot seat in Indianapolis because that was the whole reason they went out and got Carson Wentz is because he was with Frank in Philly. That's when he was successful. We can fix him, and it didn't work. We lost what to Jacksonville to miss the playoffs. I think it was like a first, first round picked, pick, didn't they? Yeah, I think so. And they ate a ton of money, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Well,
3: we might be eating more
4: money
0: too. Who do you, who would you want if I put you in charge of the Colts and I said, okay, you can go out there and acquire whatever you think is the best option that's actually available, like. Let's take Aaron Rodgers and Kyler Murray and Tom Brady off the table for a sec.
3: Russell Wilson. I think I that's guess. my best case scenario. I think I'm with And you. I think Will Russell Wilson. Will,
0: do you think Russ would want to go to Indy? I think you have a much the better team. Hurts, but yeah, but you I have a the much. The team situation's good.
3: Much, much better team. You know you're going to be protected and you have weapons there. I mean, that would be that would be where I would want to go if I'm Russell Wilson. I would put the Colts top three in the AFC if they acquired Russell Wilson. They would leapfrog. Oh, absolutely. Cincy, the
4: Chargers, and Baltimore, in my in opinion. Tennessee? Oh, oh yeah, Tennessee. definitely Tennessee. Guys, I've totally forgotten Tennessee's a legitimate <laughs> contender until you just said that. So Frog Tennessee. Honestly, I would put them on the same level as Buffalo. If not, maybe a little bit ahead of Buffalo because Russell Wilson has the longer history.
0: Of I would success. have him in tier two alone. I would have it being Kansas City and Buffalo tier one. I would have the Colts. They would have to prove it to me. I need to see Russell Wilson play well again, which he hasn't done in like two years now. But if he proves it to me, they could easily work their way up to the top tier. I would have them right now. Number three in the AFC. The Colts? Bullets. Do
3: you call Cleveland for Baker? No, I think that's
0: basically what they just did with Carson Wentz. I would call San Francisco about Jimmy. I think Jimmy's a really good backup plan. I them. think jimmy makes so
4: much sense in denver because it's basically going swapping uh like and he has a history with mcdaniel's yeah. yeah but we've all and we've talked about it too of you know defense got san francisco i'm an idiot
0: mcdaniel's is in las vegas i'm thinking back to his last time then, <laughs> <My bad. laughs> but with san
4: francisco we talked about the defense carry jimmy g you just didn't want to have jimmy g have that one yeah. bad jimmy g moment i mean that's basically what he would be in denver they've got the defense there he's got some weapons on that offense jimmy just just has to not be Jimmy G and just be average, and the Broncos would be a pretty good team in the AFC. Hey, Jimmy,
3: just don't be yourself, please. Yeah, don't turn the ball right, We gotta get to the miserable you-know-what according to BK. Adam Schefter reporting over the weekend, the Packers are prepared to go all-in for Rodgers in 2022, spending as close to the cap this year and spreading it into future years as much as possible per sources. Think of the Saints approach with Drew Brees, so Green Bay looking to pretty much give Aaron Rodgers whatever he wants, which means a five-year extension for Randall Cobb.
0: Yes. Maybe. Man, I, I don't know how they're going to make this work, but do they
3: have the cap to make this work?
0: No. no they're like...
3: $50 million over the cap today. And how are you going to sign go all Adams? <laughs> I, yeah.
0: So they'll cut Darius Smith. They might have to cut David Bakhtiari, who's been no, they can't. They can't cut David Bakhtiari. What's his dead cap? Twenty-six million dollars. Yeah, he's fine. Ooh, um,
3: ooh, you can stay.
0: You might have to cut Preston Smith. That saves you twelve million bucks. You might. You're definitely cutting Randall Cobb. That's six million bucks. Sorry, sorry, oh, Rogers. This no. is what we got to do. I mean, totally it, it's it's tough, man. They're gonna have to renegotiate a bunch of stuff. They're gonna have to post June one cut a lot of guys. Like, it's gonna be a very different team in a much less. Uh, They're not going to have the depth that they had this year on their roster, but you're going to have Aaron Rodgers. You're going to have Devontae Adams, and that alone is enough to at least make you a contender in the NFC. Devontae
3: wants to stay in Green Bay?
0: Yeah, because you got Rodgers. And, could, would, I would tie my extension to him, though. I would want, if, if Rogers is going to do a three year deal, I would want a three year deal if I'm Devontae Adams. I would well.
4: just, and I know players don't want to do this, but if I'm Devontae Adams, I would probably just take the franchise tag. Yeah. Do like one I year and mostly can do
0: it. See what happens, happens. I don't so think they gone. can. I don't think that they can make it work, work with the franchise tag. It's yeah, too but much. Yeah, much. But maybe I do one more year with $23 point. million. Dollars. Yeah, that's
3: a good point. But maybe and I do one that. more year with Aaron Rodgers and then I go back into free agency and say, okay, now I'm going to go somewhere else. The way
0: they'd have to do that is do, and this is all cap stuff, but. Major you would signing sign bonus. a one-year deal and then it would be a signing bonus and they would have void years this is what tampa bay did with tom brady where he's going to count against their cap for the next three years whether he's on the roster or not that's going to be what they have to do with aaron Rodgers, probably and also with Devontae adams it's gonna be tough but they'll make it work
3: he's tanner hendrickson he's brandon kiley i'm alex ferrario we'll come back with our bk and ferrario rewind as we wrap things up here on BK and ferrario on 101 espn Things down here on BK and Ferrario with Tanner Hendrickson and Brandon Kiley. I'm Alex Ferrario. The fast lane coming up next from two to six o'clock. As we get our BK and Ferrario rewind, fellas, we did a lot of coverage on the Super Bowl as the Rams beat the Bengals twenty-three to twenty. We did a lot of Ram side of the conversation, but not so much on the Bengals side. BK, do you feel like we got a little bit over our skates with the love for Joe Burrow because going into the postseason? Felt like we were all talking about what Joe Burrow has accomplished and the comps of him being possibly the next Tom Brady with this team and going on Super Bowl run after Super Bowl run after Super Bowl run. Might have got a little bit too excited and aggressive with Joe Burrow love. Yeah, I mean, I do think we got a
0: little over our skis with what we believe Burrow to be. Joe Burrow's a really good quarterback. I think he's going to be a great quarterback. I think right now, if you were redrafting the league, He's probably top five in terms of guys that you would want to have leading your franchise uh, if you were just saying, okay, you could have them for the rest of their careers. Burrow's probably top five for me. But let's not exaggerate exactly what it was that they did offensively in this postseason. He was really good, but against the Raiders, they scored 26 points, and they struggled in the red zone every single time they got there. Against the Titans, they scored 19 points. He was sacked nine times. Impressive for him to even be able to continue getting up in that game, but 19 points is nothing to write home about. Against the Chiefs, the Chiefs' offense completely went into becoming a shell of itself, scored 27 points in that game. The Chiefs basically gave them the ball a couple of times, and they end up winning as a result. And then in this one against the Rams, they scored 20. He was fine, but other than a couple of big plays, one to Jamar Chase, one to T. Higgins, he didn't really do all that much, in my opinion, in that one. I'm not trying to discount what Joe Burrow has accomplished. Him getting to the Super Bowl was amazing, man. Nobody thought they were going to be there. They were more likely to have the number 1 overall pick this year than they were, according to the Vegas odds, to win the Super Bowl. So credit to the Bengals and credit to Joe Burrow for actually getting it done. But anybody saying that they would take him over Patrick Mahomes, you're crazy. Yeah. Anybody saying you would take him over Josh Allen, I just can't get there with you either. But... Top five, top seven in the league? Yeah, I'm there. He proved that much. This show, this, part this part of me season. felt
3: like watching him last night is how I felt that first year of Josh Allen in the playoffs, where it's like, you know what? You can see signs of... of greatness with this and I'm looking forward to seeing what he turns into but it's just not there yet and I felt like that was Joe Burrow that last pass that turned into basically the Bengals losing that game that was the Josh Allen moment for me so maybe he turns into something more moving forward but for right now I'm with you I think it's pretty clear who the top quarterbacks are in the AFC and Joe Burrow is at least making progress to get up there
4: yeah I'm with you guys I think he'll be there at some point but this was kind of his rookie year. I know he had a year before, but he missed a lot of it due to the the ACL injury. And honestly, I don't want to give him a lot of credit for that long touchdown pass because the ball was underthrown. And the whole reason we're even talking about a penalty possibly on that play is because Chase had to slow down get the ball, and then go to the end zone. And Ramsey overran. Higgins, Ramsey was yeah. beat. Or yeah, excuse Higgins. me, Higgins, yes. Ramsey was beat. The ball was underthrown. And that leads to where Ramsey gets his face mask grab because Higgins has to slow down. So I think he will be great. I have seen. I thought that coming out since he was drafted number one overall because he just was incredible at LSU. I think it is going to take some time, though, to kind of develop back into this quarterback that we're putting in the top five
0: everybody's compared Alex him to Tom Brady this was a run very similar to what Tom Brady had in the first the first four years of him being with the Patriots he made some big plays in the big moments he did not overwhelm you though 2007 Tom Brady that's when he really had his coming out party of oh bleep this guy is a superstar and he is just playing on a different level than anybody else this wasn't that Joe Burrow right now looks a lot like early years Tom Brady
3: Plenty more Super Bowl reaction coming up on the fast lane from 2 to 6. We will be back with you tomorrow at 11 here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN.
1: You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Flash, flash. Splash Weather Repel Premium Windshield Wash features a 3-in-1 formula that repels rain, sleet, snow, and bugs while leaving a streak-free shine. It keeps you seeing safely all year long. Pick up some at Walmart today. See safely on the road when you apply a little splash.